Good evening, everyone. Please take your seats. Our meeting is going to begin. I'm going to start with the land acknowledgement. The city of West Hollywood acknowledges that the land on which we gather and that is currently known as the city of West Hollywood is the occupied, unceded, seized territory of the Gabrielino Tongva and the Gabrielino Keech peoples. I will now call this meeting to order. It is 6.03 p.m. Uh, Marquita Thomas, will you please lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance this evening? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Madam City Clerk, may we have a roll call, please? Thank you, Mayor. Councilmember Byers. Present. Can everyone get seated and please sit? Thank you. Councilmember Heilman. Here. Councilmember Meister. Here. Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Here. Mayor Schein. Present. We have a quorum. Thank you. We did not have a closed session this evening, so we will now move to approval of the agenda. Madam City Clerk, are there any changes from staff? Yes, Mayor. Staff is requesting that item 5A be tabled. 5A. Okay. Are there any uh, changes from my colleagues? Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson? Thank you so much, Madam Mayor. I was hoping we could move 6D, which is enhancements of our local gun control ordinances. Thank you. Um, 6C, proposed amendments to the business license tax ordinance to expand incentives for businesses renewing their leases. I, I have a comment on that, so can leave we it. leave it on? Sure. Um, 6B, implementation of bicycle repair stations. Yeah. And then um, I'll try one more. Uh, 6A, the community garden program. There's direction that's oh, needed. Oh, never mind. We are on that ad hoc subcommittee. So never, uh, I take that back. So yes, <laughs> thank you, sorry. That's it, Madam Mayor. Any others from, yes. Yeah, um, I'd like to pull uh, to you the analysis of the city's HOA fee policy in inclusionary housing condominiums uh, to excluded consent. And uh, just wanted to uh, note my no vote on item two at D as in dog. Okay, so we are moving to consent item 6D, and that is enhancements of local gun control ordinances, 6B, implementation of a, bicy of a bicycle repair stations pilot program, uh, pulling to you to excluded consent analysis of the city's HOA fee policy in inclusionary housing condominiums, and Councilmember Meister is uh, voting no on 2D, the ordinance of the City Council of the City of West Hollywood adopting amendments to Title 19 zoning ordinance of the West Hollywood Municipal Code to update replacement requirements of above lower income protected units and new housing projects. 
Mayor, I don't think we received any additional applications for the Older Adults Advisory Board. Do we want to table that as well? Uh, yes, because that's why we didn't vote on it last time. So any of my colleagues? Yeah. I, f I feel like there's one applicant we could make tonight, personally, versus one. I mean, I feel like by the time we get to the advisory board, it might be December, and then we're going to be re-looking at reappointments. So I think I would like to leave it and make at least one, and then the other application, so that way it's only missing one member. We, sure, we could try and see if there's votes. Mary, ready to take a vote on the motion? Yes, Thank please. you. And the motion passes. Thank you. We will now move to adjournment motions. Um, Council Member Meister, do you have an adjournment motion this evening? I okay. do, thank you, Mayor. Uh, I'd like to adjourn in memory of Gloria Shear. Gloria Shear passed away recently from com complications of cancer. Many people in the community would remember her as the peppy, personable waitress at the Silver Spoon restaurant. Gloria was an institution of knowledge, and she was adored by many of our community members. Our condolences go out to all those who knew her, and she will be missed. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Councilmember Byers, do you have any adjournments? Councilmember Heilman? No. Nope. Mayor Pro Tem? No. Okay. I um, have two adjournments this evening. Uh, first, for Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department Deputy Ryan Klinkenbrumer, tragically lost his life while on duty at the Palmdale Sheriff's Station. He was only 30 years old and an eight-year veteran of the Sheriff's Department, with most of his dedicated service to the Palmdale community. Our deepest condolences go out to his fiance and his family and friends. He recently became engaged four days before his death and was a third generation deputy whose father and grandfather also served with the force. Next, for the victims of the Morocco earthquake. We are deeply saddened by the huge loss of life and property by the devastating earthquake with a magnitude of 6.8 that hit Morocco on September 8th. This earthquake and subsequent aftershocks have claimed the lives of at least 3,000 people with over 5,600 people injured. The United Nations reported that roughly 300,000 pe people were likely affected by the earthquake. UNICEF said that likely included 100,000 children. Our sincere thoughts and prayers are with the families of the victims and the people of Morocco. We will now move to presentations this evening, starting with uh, National Recovery Month. Uh, with a proclamation being presented to Van Ness Recovery House by Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Thank you so much, Madam Mayor. The public will get more sick of me as I have multiple presentations tonight, so let's start uh, with National Recovery Month. So. Uh, 
this is something that's very dear and near to my heart as West Hollywood has been home and is home to a vibrant recovery community. It is integral to who we are, it is integral to who we will be, and we have many businesses, people, and communities, both past and present, who have dedicated their lives to making sure that we are home to that. As someone with a family member in recovery, as well as someone battling addiction, that I know friends and family have come on the other side, Crediting West Hollywood as part of that community has been forefront of that of that struggle for them And I'm thankful to everyone who is here and not here for doing that um, So I'm going to read the proclamation now and then I'm going to invite our friends up for a photo Whereas National Recovery Month began in 1989 and is a national observance held every September to educate Americans that substance use treatment and mental health services can enable those with mental and or substance use disorder to live a healthy and rewarding life and whereas Recovery Month aims to promote and support new evidence-based treatment and recovery practices, celebrates the gains made by those in recovery and honors and recognizes the dedication of service providers and communities who make recovery in all of its form possible, and whereas the observance of Recovery Month reinforces the positive message that behavioral health is essential to overall health, prevention works, treatment is effective and people can and do recover, and whereas the Van Ness Recovery House is a 20-bed residential treatment facility that has been serving the West Hollywood community since 1973, and whereas the Van Ness Recovery House mission is to meet the critical and expanding needs of the LGBTQ plus community through whole person care and integrated services that target drug and alcohol addiction, mental health concerns, and sexual health in a socially supportive environment. And whereas the city of West Hollywood has a strong commitment to providing social services, health education, and informational resources to community members in need and contracts with several agencies to provide substance use treatment, recovery, and health and mental health services. And whereas in recognition of National Recovery Month, the city honors Van Ness Recovery House's 50 years of work. Yes, you heard that right, 50 years of work and service to the community. It acknowledges, yes, you can clap if you want, please do. And we acknowledge that we must continue to educate communities about substance use disorders and co-occurring disorders and the effectiveness of treatment recovery. Now, therefore, let it be resolved that the City Council of the City of West Hollywood hereby recognizes September as National Recovery Month, celebrates the strides our recovery community has made, and congratulates the Van Ness Recovery House in celebrating its 50th anniversary for the commitment to making recovery possible in the City of West Hollywood and our neighboring communities. And now I'd like to welcome up RJ, a board member and alumni, Kathy, executive director and alumni, Brian Stark, committee members and alumni at the Van Ness Recovery House, and anyone else that would like to come up to the photo and accept.
So I want to say thank you very, very much. Um, I feel very old. I've been coming here for this since 1989. Um, and it's really amazing because the city of West Hollywood has understood the value of recovery for a very long time. And it's important that we have the support of cities because that's allowed us to go, you know, to the county. And, um, you know, Van Ness is in our 50th year. We're actually in our 51st now. And we have been serving the LGBTQ community. But what I want you to really understand and, and why my heart is so indebted and Van Ness Recovery House is to the city of West Hollywood is because even though we have 20 beds, up until 2017, the county only funded six beds. And had it not been for contracts we had from the city of West Hollywood, there's a good bet our doors would have closed until we could raise the money to open them back up. So I, I am really eternally grateful. So on September 30th, Venice Recovery House will be having a 50th anniversary event at Plummer Park. Everyone is welcome. Um, it's pretty safe to say that everybody is an ally to Venice Recovery House, an alumni of Venice Recovery House, or quite possibly somebody that will cross our path unbeknownst to them at this moment, and we'll be there for them. So I wanna say thank you. Thank you, John, it's very exciting. And um, we're going to keep going. Thank you. Thank you. Next, we have Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month, a presentation from Mayor Pro Tem John Erickson. Thank you so much. And um, I've been working on this celebration recognition since I was an intern at the city of West Hollywood. So to be up here and continue to do this tradition, thanks in part to uh, former mayor and council member Abby Land, who did it when she was on council, is, is, quite, a, is quite astonishing. So thank you, Robin and Natalie. Um, whereas, uh, according to the American Cancer Society, almost 22,000 women in the United States receive a new diagnosis of ovarian cancer every year, and almost 14,000 women die each year from ovarian cancer. And whereas ovarian cancer ranks fifth in cancer deaths among women, accounting for more deaths than any other cancer of the female reproductive system. And whereas ovarian cancer system symptoms are often very subtle and may be difficult to detect, symptoms may include bloating, pelvic or abdominal pain, difficulty eating or feeling full quilty, quickly, and urinary urgency or frequency. And whereas early detection is critical to saving the lives of those affected as women diagnosed at an early stage before the cancer is spread have a much higher five-year survival rate than those diagnosed at a later stage. Whereas all women, regardless of socioeconomic status, race, or ethnicity, should be provided with resources possible to protect themselves and their families. And whereas September is National Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month, which is an opportunity to raise awareness about the disease, encourage women to get the facts and recognize the signs of the disease, and to raise money for additional research. And whereas since it has been founded in 2011, 
of the ovarian cancer circle inspired by Robin Babini has aimed to expand the ring of networking, education, and support for women of all ages and their families and friends who may be affected by the disease. And whereas the city of West Hollywood has supported the ovarian cancer circle inspired by Robin Babini in their efforts to raise awareness and support women through events and programming, now therefore let it be resolved that the city council of the city of West Hollywood hereby recognizes September as Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month and acknowledges the Ovarian Cancer Circle inspired by Robin Babini's efforts to raise awareness about the disease and funding for research. And now I'd like to invite Paul Linda, president of the Ovarian Cancer Circle, as well as Natalie Mignon, vice president, and other representatives up to the dais to accept the proclamation. Good evening, Mayor Shine, Mayor Pro Temp Erickson, and City Council members. This is the face of ovarian cancer. My name is Paulinda Babini, president of the Ovarian Cancer Circle, inspired by Robin Babini. I founded the circle to honor the memory of my daughter Robin, who lost her life to this insidious disease at 20. On behalf of the Ovarian Cancer Circle's dedicated team and our vice president, Natalie Mignon, and myself, I would like to extend my profound gratitude for acknowledging September as Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month by lighting City Hall and the lanterns along Santa Monica Boulevard for the fourth consecutive year, teal, the national color of ovarian cancer. This is truly an honor. One of the fundamental pillars of the circle's mission is raising awareness about ovarian cancer. We tirelessly work to educate women about the symptoms and risk factors early detection methods, as shown on these bookmarks, which have the symptoms and how to be very proactive. Ovarian cancer is the fifth cause of gynecological death in the United States. The circle actively fundraises and allocates resources, Dr. Sanaz Mamarzadeh, at the UCLA Discovery Lab to support cutting-edge research aimed at understanding the disease better and developing a more effective therapies. Since the circle's inception 13 years ago, $1 million has been raised to support this cutting-edge research. Ovarian cancer needs a much more public profile, and with today's prominent recognition, you have helped to make that happen. I truly believe if I had known then what I know now, Robin would be here to tell her story herself. Thank you very much. Um, now, uh, QT Nightlife, presented by Mayor Pro Tem. All right, I told you to be sick of me, but this one's not least, but last but not least, certainly. Um, and I want to thank uh, outgoing Commissioner Mike I for bringing this to the attention for all that he does for the API community. I want to, if you could give him a round of applause. Thank you so much. 
Whereas, since the city of West Hollywood's incorporation in 1984, the city has become the most influential cities in the, in the nation for its relentless advocacy for LGBTQ plus equality and human rights. And whereas QT Nightlife is an event production organization which was founded in 2021 to create spaces for queer and trans people of color, communities where they can feel safe and feel at home. And whereas QT Nightlife aspires to create an inclusive nightlife space where all individuals are represented of represented, achieve true equality, and are celebrated for their authentic selves within the United Queer and Trans Communities. And whereas to support this mission, QT Nightlife regularly hosts events known as Switch 21 Plus at Mickey's WeHo in West Hollywood to further promote local LGBTQ establishments and support the intersection of QT Pac and Asian American and Pacific Island Islander communities. And whereas QT Nightlife's core values fall squarely within those of the city of West Hollywood in supporting diversity and belonging, community, and joy. We commend QT Nightlife for finding ways to give back to its community by supportive programming. Now, therefore, let it be resolved that the City Council of the City of West Hollywood hereby recognizes QT Nightlife and its commitment to the values of diversity, inclusiveness, and equality for QT Bach and AAPI communities. And I would like to invite Mike I and Liam Shai from QT Nightlife and others in attendance to accept this proclamation. Come on down. Um, on behalf of QD Nightlife, we want to say a huge thank you to the council members, to Mayor Sepi Shine, to Mayor Pro Temp John M. Erickson. We really want to give a huge thank you. Um, and we founded QD Nightlife on the principle that space is really essential for the community. Our event centers specifically on the intersectionality of queer and trans folk, AAPI and people of color, and we really wanted to create inclusive nightlife spaces for that. And so we want to have people feel represented. We want to have people feel like they're equal. And we want to celebrate people for their authentic selves. Back in 2020, the pandemic affected us all. And after 17 years of operation, the gay Asian event known as Game Boy at Rajik Bar and Nightclub shuttered its door and they permanently retired. And we heard the community need for a new dedicated safe space that we can call home. And we created Switch at Mickey's. And so we actually just celebrated our first anniversary earlier in July, and we are proud to serve over 1,000 people per event on average. In closing, we warmly welcome the entire council to attend any of our future events. Our next one is October 14th. It's Halloween themed. 
Uh, we are truly honored and humbled in accepting this proclamation, and we are excited to continue creating community spaces for the LGBTQIA+, AAPI, and POC communities. Thank you so much. Thank you. And now I'm going to present a proclamation to the Iranian American Women Foundation. Whereas the Iranian American Women Foundation, IAWF, was founded in 2012 to provide a platform for empowerment and networking among Iranian American women and to provide mentorship to younger generations of Iranians locally and globally. And since its inception, IAWF has empowered, inspired, and connected over 6,000 women nationwide and globally by creating a forum for open dialogue. IAWF showcases the diversity of America, celebrates the confluence of the American fabric and Iranian heritage, and propels women forward into a new dynamic professional leadership arenas. And in September 2022, the world was shocked when Massa Amini, also known as Gina Massa Amini, a 22-year-old Iranian woman was arrested on the basis of inadequate head covering and was killed three days later on September 16, 2022, while in custody in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Her unjust treatment and untimely death became a catalyst for the first ever female-led revolution called Woman Life Freedom Movement where women demanded nothing less than basic human rights and equality between all men, women, and others. Women in West Hollywood and around the nation and globe have been moved by the Woman Life Freedom Movement in Iran and are encouraged to fight against human rights violations against women. Following Massa Amini's death, IAWF brought together the community and held a candlelight vigil at West Hollywood Park to honor Massa Amini's memory and the countless brave Iranian women risking their lives in the movement for women's rights and freedom. And in support of Woman Life Freedom Movement, the city of West Hollywood passed resolutions in October and December 2022 confirming support for women's equality and the right for people to peacefully exercise freedom of expression, assembly, and association in Iran. The city of West Hollywood continues to support the Woman Life Freedom Movement to preserve and continue the legacy of Massa Amini. The city also commends organizations such as IAWF for the incredible work in support of women and the Iranian community. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the City Council of the City of West Hollywood hereby recognizes Woman Life Freedom Movement and proclaims September 18th, 2023 as Massa Amini Day in West Hollywood. At this time, I'd like to invite representatives from the Iranian American Women Foundation to the dais for a photo and to accept the proclamation and recognition of Massa Amini Day.
Hi. Um, my name is Kimia, and on behalf of IWF, the Iranian American Women's Foundation, I want to uh, thank you, the city of West Hollywood, council members, Mayor Sefi Shine, uh, with immense gratitude for this proclamation and for acknowledging the sacrifice uh, of the people and women of Iran. Um, as Mayor Shine mentioned, um, we had a revolution that was sparked this time last year, and probably the uh, last time and the most prominent time that you heard the words Iranian revolution was when the heinous hostage crisis was happening. What you didn't know and the rest of the world didn't know was that the people of Iran were taken hostage, their voices, their freedom, their dignity was taken away. Millions of children um, have been killed since, and with the murder of our sister, our Kurdish sister, Gina Masa Amini, in the custody of morality police for showing more than her amount of quota of hair, um, this movement was ignited. And too many kids that should be on TikTok right now, whose TikTok dances are memorialized forever online, are six feet under. Uh, they're Grave sites regularly defaced, um, which makes us feel helpless and powerful and at the, powerless, and at the same time reminds us of how powerful we are even in death. So thank you again for the acknowledgement of their sacrifice, as every single day we will be remembering 16, 17, 9, 10-year-olds that were killed during this movement. And um, please remember them, and thank you again for all of you, Mayor Shine. Thank you. Uh, we're now moved to public comment. The city of West Hollywood. Oh, I'm sorry. We have one more uh, presentation. Uh, we have our outgoing appointees recognition. So at this time, I, along with my colleagues, are recognizing outgoing appointees at tonight's meeting, as well as at the October 2nd council meeting. These outgoing appointees have served this community through their work and dedication to West Hollywood by serving on a city board or commission. West Hollywood is a special place because of this community. We truly appreciate the community members that invest their time and energy with the goal of enhancing the quality of life here in West Hollywood. And your service to our city is impeccable and, and so appreciated. I will now read the names of the outgoing appointees here this evening. When you hear your name, please come up to the dais. Beginning with our longest serving commissioner, Richard Maggio, who served on the Rent Stabilization Commission from 2019 to 2023 and on multiple other commissions and boards before that. Next. Marquita Thomas, who served on the Planning Commission from 2019 to 2023 and um, was an appointee of John uh, former council member D'Amico and so was um, Richard Maggio. And Marquita also served on other commissions and boards as well. 
Uh, now we have Mike I, <laughs> who served on the LGBTQ plus advisory board from 2021 to 2022 and was uh, supervisor uh, Lindsay Horvath's appointee. Robert Lowe, who served on the Business License Commission from 2019 to 2023 and was former council member John D'Amico's appointee. And Todd Williamson, who served on the Arts and Cultural Affairs Commission from 2019 to 2022 and was an at-large appointee. My colleagues, feel free to make any remarks during this time before we provide each of the, um, before we take the group, group photo. So beginning with uh, Council Member Meister. I just want to say thank you very much for your service. We appreciate it and thanks for coming to our exciting council meeting. <laughs> A big ditto. Thank you all so much for your service and commitment to leadership. We really appreciate you. Council Member Hellman, yes. Yeah, I'll just uh, reiterate, thank you all. Amazing service, we really appreciate it. it. It's an honor to be in community with each and every one of you. You are an inspiration to public service. Thank you so much. Um, I'm so grateful for each of you, having served with a couple of you on, uh, uh, the, with Marquita on the now LGBT plus uh, advisory board which became a commission and uh, Rob on the Business License Commission, being friends with um, Richard Maggio um, and uh, Mike, I, Todd, your work was impeccable on the Arts and Cultural Affairs Commission, and all of you, your service was um, commendable, uh, respectable, and um, we will always um, appreciate you, and if you want to come back, please, please come back to service. So at this time, we're gonna take a group photo. Mayor, Pro, um, Mayor Shine and um, 
Mayor Pro Tem Erickson and the rest of the City Council members. I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you so much for this acknowledgement. It's been great and an honor to serve on the Business License Commission. It's permitted me the ability to serve my best capacity and best capabilities. Mm -hmm. And I just want to thank you for this moment of acknowledgement. I also want to take this time to thank you guys for your services, all the advisors, all the board members, and the commissioners um, that have served, that are serving, and that will be serving. Thank you. I'll need to make this brief because I'm losing my voice. My apologies. Um, first of all, thank you for this recognition. Um, it was an honor to serve on Planning Commission and to serve as the first woman of color on Planning Commission. And <laughs> thank you. And I want to thank former council member John D'Amico for appointing me. Uh, you know, across the nation, we're in the throes of this abject housing crisis. So to be able to lend my voice to a body that, um, you know, brought responsible housing and business and to be able to advocate for affordable housing, which makes the city more accessible to diverse communities and families and seniors and students. It was just really, really rewarding work. So um, I really enjoyed my time on Planning Commission. I want to say best of luck to my colleagues who are currently on commission. And I'm just going to really quickly also thank uh, former council member uh, Lindsey Horvath for appointing me to um, LGAB and uh, the council members who uh, appointed me um, at large to human services. So uh, thank you and uh, appreciate this. Mayor, Mayor Potem, council members, staff, I just want to say that this is so cool. Thank you. Um, it is a huge honor. I, I remember coming to West Hollywood when, as a teenager, sneaking away to find a place that I felt safe, a place where I can be in community with my people. And it's so, been such an honor to be able to serve on what was formerly LGAB and now it's the LGBT Plus Commission, which is fantastic. Um, to help support and continue the legacy that West Hollywood is a safe place for all, LGBTQ and allies. So thank you. I'm very proud to be standing here and thank you guys. I know most of you very well for a long time. Uh, I think that the Arts Commission in West Hollywood is one of the proudest things that I have in my life. You guys are so good at supporting artists, you're good at supporting the community, and I thank you so much. And you're in such great hands now with Rebecca and the new commission. Thank you, appreciate it. I've been very fortunate to grow up in West Hollywood. In fact, I did my Cub Scouts right behind us. Uh, I always felt special in this room because if you open that door, there's a tree that honors my mother and father. And I always felt that they were really here guiding me. Public servant for the city of West Hollywood has been an incredible job. 33 years of service, and I'm really... And you know what? I would do it all over again. It has given me an inner fulfillment of purpose, and I'm so thankful. Thank you again very much.
Now we will move to public comment. The City Council values your comments. However, pursuant to the Brown Act, Council cannot take action on items not listed on the posted agenda. Um, there will be two minutes allotted for each speaker for public comment period. This public comment period is to address the City Council on consent calendar items or items of general interest within the subject matter jurisdiction of the City Council. Another period is also reserved for general comment later in the evening for those that could not be heard at this time. Public he hearing testimony will only be taken at the time of the public hearing. If you go over your two minutes and do not respond to the city clerk's notification that your time has expired, your microphone will be muted. If you signed up to speak on both consent calendar items and general public comment, as well as an item that was moved to the consent calendar, you may take this public comment period to speak on the consent calendar items. You may also sign up to speak during the second public comment period for your general public comment. Madam City Clerk, start. Thank you, Mayor. Before we get started, just so members of the public understand, um, we have a couple of speakers in chambers who are speaking on consent calendar items, and we must take those first. I then have an individual in Zoom who is speaking on a consent calendar item. We will then come back into chambers and begin taking the general public comment, okay? So our first speaker this evening on the consent calendar is Megan Odson. Item 6D was moved to consent during approval of the agenda to be followed by Jesse Harris. Good evening, Mayor Schein, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson, and Council Members Byers, Heilman, and Meister. I'm speaking tonight on behalf of Women Against Gun Violence, a 30-year-old nonprofit organization working to prevent gun violence in LA County, the state of California, and across the nation. Our relationship with your fair city goes back to the mid-90s when WeHo was the first city to ban Saturday night specials or junk guns under the leadership of Abby Land, um, who's here tonight, Paul Kretz, and Wegva's Sayer Weaver and Anne Rice Lane. We would like to speak tonight in support of Mayor Pro Tem Erickson's motion to explore strengthening local gun regulation. We believe there is a need to modernize and enhance gun safety laws as the threat of violence and mass shootings continues to increase, particularly against LGBTQ plus communities. And we applaud your efforts and initiative in agendizing this item tonight. Please move forward with this, and we at WEGVA will be happy to remain on hand to assist and support you and the city staff. Thank you so much. Thank you, Megan. Our next speaker is Jesse Harris, to be followed by Kelly Polarski. Good evening, Mayor Schein, Mayor Pro Tem, uh, Erickson, and fair council members of our city. Um, this comment will be short. I'm really here to um, thank you and show support for item 6B for uh, the bike repair pilots. I think, um, you know, bike repair stations are a really easy, accessible, and low-cost way to send a message to cyclists that they are welcome and safe. Uh, also, I don't know if any of you have ever gotten a flat tire <laughs> out on your bike, but it's really annoying. Um, and so uh, I think that this is a, a really good program, and it's the sort of program that our city should be moving toward to make sure that um, cyclists and, and all kinds of users of uh, alternative forms of mobility are, um, are, are able to do so in a way that's, um, that's sustainable and uh, keeps 
their form of transportation as low cost and accessible as it's meant to be. So thank you, and I know you'll be fielding um, suggestions for locations. Uh, I think, you know, making sure that, I, I think the pilot starts off with two locations and making sure that there's a location on the east as well as the west side of the city, uh, I think is definitely commendable. I would recommend um, uh, the parks, so uh, Plummer Park on the east side of the city and then West Hollywood Park on the west side of the city and then specific locations within the park where uh, they would be most advantageous, I think, will uh, come about through some discussion, but certainly a place where bicyclists can pull over and feel safe making those repairs, but where the stations are also very visible um, because people will, people will need to see the stations to know that they exist. So. Thank you again, and thank you for hearing my comment on that. Thank you, Jesse. Our next speaker in chambers on a consent calendar item is Kelly Polarski, and then we will move to Zoom. Hi there, thank you for taking my comment. I echo everything Jesse had said. She um, really nailed it. Um, I just wanna say, as she said, bike repair stations really show that we respect our residents that choose biking as a form of transportation, not just to go see your friends or work out on the weekend, but I truly use biking as a way of commuting around Los Angeles. And installing this infrastructure will give me a lot of, <laughs> um, a good feeling that you respect who I am and others like me um, that choose a cleaner way to live our lives. Um, Location-wise, I think east and west is really important. I live um, all the way on the east side next to La Brea, and having access to those amenities over there is uh, quite important to me. Um, also, I did wanna say um, there are more bikers out there than just me that would uh, appreciate and um, support this. So if there are is an option for more than two, I could, be a part of that pilot program and help getting more people to uh, give resources for those. So thank you very much. Thank you, Kelly. We will now go to our speaker in Zoom who is speaking on a consent item. Our speaker on Zoom for the consent calendar is Monique. Monique, go ahead, two minutes. Hi, um, yes, um, my name is Monique Gomez. I am a tenant at Barrington Plaza and represent the Barrington Plaza Tenants Association. I'm here to speak in favor of your resolution and I thank you for your support. Barrington Plaza is a 712 rent controlled building in West LA and we are suing our landlord, uh, Douglas Bennett, for illegally attempting to use the Ellis Act to evict all tenants in order for them to perform renovations and to re-rent at higher rents. The Ellis Act allows for evictions only if an owner is permanently going out of the rental business. In this case, they are not. Um, we have been assisted by Larry Gross and the Coalition for Economic Survival, and the CES has guided and mentored us through this very challenging time. Um, our Tenants Association knows that this mass eviction goes beyond our front door. What happens with our fight and lawsuit will impact not only Los Angeles and West Hollywood, but all rent-controlled cities in this very own state. And our fight is about corporate greed and a poorly written state law. 
Our fight is every tenant's fight. It is a fight to stop unjust evictions and to preserve affordable housing. But in order to continue our fight, we are also asking for the public um, for a financial support. Uh, lawsuits are expensive, and we're, we know that now. Um, but we are asking supporters to donate what they can by visiting our webpage at bptenants.org. That's bp as in Barrington Plaza, tenants.org. Thank you, City Council. Thank you for your awesome leadership and support. Um, it's all greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Monique. Mayor, that was our only speaker speaking on consent in Zoom. So now we will go to general public comment in chambers. Uh, we do have translators here, so if you need translation from Spanish to English, please indicate that by raising your hand or letting me know when you come up so we can have our translators translate for you. Thank you. So our first speaker is Marcus Molina to be followed by Michael Sullivan. Thank you to the mayors and the city council for your time. My name is Marcus Molina, and I have been a resident of West Hollywood for 24 years. I work at One Hotel West Hollywood. I do all of my personal spending in West Hollywood, groceries, gas, CVS, gym. I got this $41 haircut at Supercuts in West Hollywood. I make a concerted effort to spend all my money in West Hollywood because I love this city and I want to support West Hollywood. The purpose in life is to help others. And these hotel workers in the red shirts perform the work every day that helps hotel guests enjoy a wonderful hotel experience. Hotel workers also perform the work that keeps the hotels functional and profitable, which helps these hotel owners collect billions and billions of dollars in profits. But we have powerful business interests and a right-wing blog that are trying to lower the minimum wage. And they are disrespecting the hotel workers in the red shirts, saying we don't deserve a good wage because we don't live in this city. But I am here to say that we do live in this city and we love and support West Hollywood. It is hotel, wor it is hotel workers that need support, please. It is hotel workers that need support, please. Please defend our living wage law. Thank you for your time. So I, I just want to say that while I appreciate everyone standing up, there are people behind you that can't see what's going on. So um, maybe at the end, everybody stands up and we do that acknowledgement that way. Um, thank you. Michael Sullivan, go yeah. ahead. Good evening, Honorable Mayor, uh, members of the City Council. Uh, my name is Michael Sullivan. I've worked at Andaz Hotel for the last 10 years. Uh, proud uh, Unite Here member for the last 10 years as well. Um, you said it best. Housing is a crisis. It's not a problem. It's an actual crisis. And at the current minimum wage, you cannot afford the average one bedroom in West Hollywood. We're asking for $30 an hour for a minimum wage. West Hollywood has led on this in the past. We're asking you to lead again. 
we would be able to afford a one bedroom with $30 minimum wage. And that would still be 70% of our income. So we've asked for help with housing. We haven't really got it across America. It's, it's, an, it's an insane issue that no one seems to have a, a, a solution for. But what we can fight as a, as a group is for better wages in our cities that we work in. And you have been leaders, and we just hope, hope that you'll continue to stand with us and continue to be leaders on this issue. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Our next speaker is Ishmael Navarro, to be followed by Yannette Gilmore. Good evening, Honorable Mayor Shine and members of the West Hollywood City Council. Uh, thank you so much for being here and listening to our stories and being able to uh, just hear us out, having this platform, and very, it means a lot to us. I've been working at the One Hotel as a barista and also was one of the chefs prior to transferring over to being a barista. And just like Mike Sullivan said, the housing situation is kind of uh, ridiculous, trying to move out here from Long Beach every single day commuting. So one gets used to it because it's kind of what we're supposed to do to work, to make a living, but I also think it should be fair and uh, an option for us to want to be getting paid $30 an hour so that we could make ourselves in the city because honestly, I love being a part of West Hollywood. I've been coming out here for past 10 plus years of my career as working from chef to anything, hospitality, and I just think we deserve uh, a good, raise so we could all be able to live within the city and not be commuting ridiculous hours. So thank you so much for your time and I appreciate each and one of you, so thank you. Thank you, Ishmael. Our next speaker is Yannette Gilmore to be followed by Gilma Ansora. So for interpretation, I'm gonna give some extra time. Eh, buenas noches, honorable alcaldesa Chaini y miembro del Consejo Municipal de West Hollywood. Eh, yo trabajo en Andas West Hollywood eh, durante 11 años. Soy un miembro orgulloso del local 11. En 2021, West Hollywood hizo historia al aprobar un salario digno que ahora es de más de 19 dólares la hora, el más alto del país. Agradecemos a los miembros del consejo que participaron en ese esfuerzo, Santa Mónica, Long Beach, Los Ángeles y Anaheim. Están considerando ahora ordenanzas que aumentarán el salario mínimo en los hoteles a 25 o 30 dólares la hora. Good evening, Honorable Mayor Shine and members of the City Council of West Hollywood. I work at the Andes West Hollywood where, uh, for 11 years. I'm a proud member of Local 11. In 2021, West Hollywood made history when a uh, livable wage was approved, which is now over $19 an hour, the highest in the country. We thank the council members who participated in this effort, Santa Monica, Long Beach, Los Angeles, and Anaheim are considering now uh, ordinances which will raise the minimum wage at hotels uh, to $25 or $30 an hour. 
Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Gilma Ansora to be followed by Morena Hernandez. Buenas noches, honorable alcaldesa Chai y miembros del Consejo Municipal de West Hollywood. Mi nombre es Gilma Sora, trabajo en, West, en Andas West Hollywood, tengo 27 años de trabajar ahí y soy un miembro orgulloso de Junegir Local Eleven. Quiero comenzar agradeciendo a la alcaldesa y al Consejo Municipal de, por apoyar firmemente a los trabajadores en West Hollywood y por su liderazgo aprobar un salario digno que ahora es de poco más de 19 dólares la hora. Esto ha ayudado a establecer un estándar en toda nuestra ciudad y ha ayudado a los trabajadores que mantienen próspera la industria hotelera de nuestra ciudad. Nos enfrentamos a una inflación récord y muchos de nosotros nos enfrentamos a la inseguridad habitacional. Good evening, Honorable Shine and members of the West Hollywood Council. My name is Hilma. Oh, Hilma Alzora and I work Ex West Hollywood, and I'm a member, proud of you, United here at Local 11. I want to start, you know, by thanking you, uh, mayors, and also uh, the West Hollywood uh, councils, to uh, support us strongly, to all the workers in West Hollywood, and for your leadership, and to approve the minimum uh, salary that now is a little bit more than 19 an hour. This has helped us establish a standard in our city and has helped us, all the workers that is working in the hotel industry in this city. Uh, we are facing a record inflation and many of us facing uh, insecurity that we're living now. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Morena Hernandez, to be followed by Shimara Quintana. Buenas noches. Es un orgullo estar enfrente de ustedes, verlos otra vez en el apoyo de, no, de nuestra lucha de Andas with Halley. Mi nombre es Morena Guadalupe Hernández. Trabajo en el Andas por 27 años. Y me siento orgullosa de pertenecer a Loco y Leve. La ciudad de West Hollywood ha liderazgo la nación y ha apoyado a los trabajadores de la ciudad al aprobar un, un, un salario digno que ahora es de poco más de 19 dólares. Ha ayudado a muchas familias a cubrir me mejores necesidades básicas, pero también debemos ser Honestos, 19 dólares no hace rico a nadie. La vivienda es increíblemente insensible en cualquier lugar de Los Ángeles para que alguien como yo pueda pagar una vivienda en el condado de Los Ángeles. Necesito ganar 
cerca de 30 dólares por hora para, gan para ganar un salario verdaderamente digno. Les agradezco muchísimo. muchísimo. Buenas noches. Good evening um, to the City Council. My name is Morena Hernandez, and um, I work at the Andes, where I worked for 27 years. I'm a proud member of uh, Unite Here, and the City of West Hollywood has um, been the leader in the nation and has supported us workers uh, in the city when they approved a decent salary, which is now a little over $19. This has helped many families cover their, um, cover better their basic needs, but we also have to be honest, $19 um, is not enough. Housing is um, very ex expensive in Los Angeles, and in order for me to be able to afford housing in the county of Los Angeles, I need to make um, $30 an hour. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor, Mayor, Mayor we're at the 20 minute mark, how much, we have 15 speakers still in chambers and one in Zoom. Um, let's keep going. Okay. Our next speaker is Shamara Quintero to be followed by Julia Fuentes. Hola, buenas noches. Honorable alcaldesa Shine y miembros del Consejo Municipal de West Hollywood. Mi nombre es Xiomara Quintero y trabajo en el One Hotel West Hollywood, donde he trabajado durante cinco años. Soy un miembro orgulloso de United Local 11. En 2021, West Hollywood aprobó un salario digno que ahora es de poco más de 19 dólares por hora. En el 2000, 2021, la ciudad comprendió la urgencia de apoyar a trabajadores como yo, que somos la columna vertebral de la industria hotelera, un importante motor de la economía de nuestra ciudad. La industria hotelera se ha recuperado gracias a nuestro dinero público. Solo los hoteles se beneficiaron de rescates masivos durante la pandemia, incluyendo 13 mil millones de dólares en préstamos. Parece increíble que después de todo ese rescate público, los grupos de negocios están intentando bajar el salario mínimo. En lugar de eso, debemos de hablar de aumentar el salario mínimo hotelero a 30 dólares para garantizar, para garantizar que podamos proveernos mejor a nosotros y a nuestras familias. Los hoteles fueron rescatados y están obteniendo ganancias récords Pueden pagar 30 dólares la hora. Gracias. Good evening, Honorable Shine, uh, members of the Council of West Hollywood. My name is Shamara Quintero, and I work in this hot West Hotel where I work um, five years, um, being a member, probably member of Unite here Local 11 in 2021. West Hollywood has approved a, a, a salary that is, that is a little bit more than $19 an hour in 2021. The city understood 
the urgency to support us, all the workers like me, that we are the vertebrate of the hotel industry, um, very important motor of the economy in this city. The, the industry um, hotels has been um, improved thanks to our money, our public money, so all the hotels benefit from massive from the pan pandemic, including 13,000 millions of dollars in loans, PPP. It, it seems like incredible after all of this uh, public uh, um, support, all the business groups has been, uh, has, in, has intention to, to lower the minimum salary. Instead of, you know, of helping us or, or talk to us in, to increase the minimum salary in the hotel industry to $30 and to, uh, to, so, that, so that we can provide better sustention to us and our families. The hotels were rescued and thanks to our um, financial record gain, they can pay us $30 an hour. Thank you. The next speaker is Julia Fuentes, to be followed by Maria Lourdes Noasco. Buenas noches, honorable alcaldesa Chani. Mi nombre, mi no, ah, perdón. Buenas noches, alcaldesa Chani, miembro del municipio, del consejo municipal de Guasalibo. Mi nombre es. Es Julia Fuente, trabajo en el One Hotel, donde he trabajado durante cuatro años. Soy miembro orgulloso de United Loco 11. Por favor, apoya al trabajador de West Hollywood, proteja nuestro salario digno. Gracias por su liderazgo. Good evening, Honorable Mayor Shine and members of the City Council of West Hollywood. My name is Julia Fuentes, and I work at the One Hotel where I've worked for four years. I'm a proud member of Local 11. Uh, the city, um, for somebody like me um, who can afford to pay housing in the county of Los Angeles, I need to make close to $30 an hour in order to make a decent wage. Uh, please protect our um, workers West, in West Hollywood and protect our uh, living wage. Thanks for your, your leadership. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Our next speaker is Maria Lores Noasco, to be followed by Lucien Tudor. Good evening to Honorable Mayor Chani and member of the West Hollywood City Council. Maria, my, can you come closer to the mic so my we can name, My name is Maria Nolasco, and I have uh, housekeeping uh, at the Andas West Hollywood. We are, have working there for uh, 15 years, and I am proud to be member of United Local 11, the city of West Hollywood, as leader national and supporter workers in the city by passing living wage that is now at just over $19 an hour. 
It uh, helps many people, family better afford their basic needs, but we also need to be honest, $19 is not making anyone rich. Housing is a, is a incredible, unaffordable anywhere in LA. For some like me, not to afford housing in LA County. I need to, to earn close more than $30 an hour to make a truly, truly living way. Please stand with the workers in West Hollywood and protect our living way low. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Our next speaker is Lucien Tudor to be followed by Jim Hoffman. Hello, good evening. I'm here to start with a thankful note. Uh, Protern Mayor uh, John Erickson, thank you for meeting with us businesses. It was uh, very beautiful to have the opportunity to start a dialogue. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, to see you, Mayor Sepi Shine. Uh, I want to tell you, uh, I'm a business which is not sustainable, those minimum wages, 1908, it's already very hard. I'm just uh, humbly asking you to keep your political debts and your political agenda away from, uh, from your decisions and try to, to make decisions based on numbers, based on fact, based on a healthy conversation, a healthy dialogue with the businesses all type of businesses with different, uh, uh, different profitability. I'm really looking forward for a better leadership and a better dialogue through, through the whole city and business community. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lucien. Our next speaker is Jim Hoffman to be followed by Abby Land. Hello, my name is Jim Hoffman. West Hollywood for over 20 years. I'm here to uh, speak in support of funding for Betsy Kalin's excellent documentary film, Lesbians in Boys Town. And uh, Boys Town, that Boys Town refers to the strip of Santa Monica Boulevard between Robertson and La Cienega. And um, this film makes the, among other things, it makes the point that um, the epithet Boys Town tends to obscure the fact that, that uh, critical role that lesbians have played in the history of the, not just the LGBT, LGBTQIA community here, but uh, also during the worst years of the AIDS crisis. It is vital to remember this stuff now because it, it still matters. Um, anyone with their eyes open these days knows that the next couple of years are gonna be really um, the, the most significant challenge to our very survival since Stonewall. And we will be stronger if we confront this coming challenge in solidarity. Um, Betsy's film is grounded in past events, but I think it deserves support because it is going to impact the future as well. Uh, I have known Betsy for over a decade, uh, but my opinion here is not just based on uh, my personal friendship with her and her wife, Chris Chu. Uh, I'm also a film festival director. Um, the for seven years, the CMG Short Film Festival uh, screened in this very room. And um, I've seen a lot of films. Um, I can say that Lesbians in Boys Town is an excellent statement of some things that really need to be said right now. Um, I, I know this is not an item on your, uh, on your calendar right now, but I think it will be. And when it, 
shows up, I urge you to please support the funding request for the LGBTQIA community, for the city of West Hollywood, for the future of freedom, decency, and humanity in this country and the world. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim. Our next speaker is Abby Land, to be followed by Michael Morton. Good evening, Mayor Shine, uh, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson, and City Council. I wanted to speak just tonight on two things very quickly. First, thank you so much for putting 6D on your consent calendar, continuing the legacy of West Hollywood's leadership in the issue of preventing gun violence is so, so important. What starts here in West Hollywood has moved to cities across this country, has become state legislation, has influenced federal legislation. So I really thank you for once again trying to lead and hopefully as we enhance those ordinances, um, organizations like Women Against Gun Violence and other will join with you so we can really continue to make a difference in that horrible, horrible epidemic of gun violence. I also want to add my uh, support to our pre a speaker that just spoke uh, at a future council meeting. I think you will be talking about the film Lesbians in Boys Town and I think it's so important that the council think about allocating some funds to this film. It's a documentary that talks about the past, but it talks about the present, and I hope that it gives hope for the future. It really helps remind people it was a lot of folks that helped make this city. Lesbians, queer women were an integral part of it, and often, to be honest, that gets buried. This film will ensure that people understand the role that queer women played in West Hollywood in the past, the role they're playing now, and as I said, I hope it inspires many queer women to continue playing that role so we can all make West Hollywood as good as it can be and we never forget our history. Thank you very much for your consideration. Thank you, Abby. Michael Morton will be our last speaker this evening. If you signed up to speak for public comment, you will be moved to the second public comment period. My name is Michael Morton. I live at 943 North Gardner Unit 5. I've been there since 1995. I've lived in West Hollywood since 1992. If this is throat cancer, I was supposed to be dead by 20. So in 2019, I set up a YouTube channel to transmit information to military intelligence in DC, expecting to be dead within a year so my daughter and one person I cared about would be protected after I was dead. Inside now, inside my bag, I possess a shield that says counterterrorism with an ID that says counterterrorism, private contract, a task force. I have that in the last year after not needing it for 31 years and living in the same place under finding out that it is intolerable to be a straight man living in West Hollywood, I believe, because since 2020, I've had gay men hit me with their car, stop to get out to assault me, threaten to assault me. I can't file a police report because it's a brand new vehicle. I find out now I have reason to believe it all came from a Benjamin Clinton Wheeler Jr. the third, a caregiver right next door to me at 941 North Gardner. Evelyn Harris is the property owner and the landlord of that property. I've known her since 1995. He's filed so many fake complaints against me. He's had me, tried to have me fraudulently arrested. These, this cancel culture stuff has to stop in the city. I've gone to jail 16 days fraudulently. I'm still dying of freaking throat cancer, and I still have yet to do nothing. My rights have been violated. Nobody gives an F. And the court has appointed because my attorney said, go with being out there. So I was assessed as being schizophrenic bipolar for telling the truth. I've been stalked, gang stalked, electronically har harassed, and surveillance by my neighbors 
One of them was here, and it's no longer here tonight. I can't even put a restraint on her because I don't know who the F she is, and she lives half a block from me, and her and two other men are going with my slumlord landlord at 943 Cameo DDB to fraudulently have me evicted because everybody's afraid of me, but you need to get code and compliance in there to see the wood rot from the termite damage on the front, the cracks on the ground that is a tripping hazard, and he's not renting because of me. He's not trying to rent to me. Thank you so much for never freaking doing anything for me. And the sheriff to know about this. Thank they you, will not Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Michael. Thank you. Mayor, did we want... Mayor, did we want to continue or did we want to move on? Let's move on. It's getting late, and um, uh, we've had a lot of public comments, and okay. we're gonna. We have a second. We have a second period for public comments. That we invite you to wait. We invite you to wait till the second public comment period. If everyone will take their seats, we are going to resume the council meeting. Thank you. Uh, we will now move to the city manager's report. City Manager Wilson, please provide us your report. and city council members. I just have a few items uh, update. Uh, the city council hosts, I'm sorry, the city hosted a WeHo Carnival uh, meeting with the business community this month focused on street closure impacts, programming, public safety, and special event permit activations that will occur during Halloween. Um, for those businesses that missed the meeting or for more additional information, um, please visit or please email event services admin at weho.org. Uh, the city is updating its local hazard mitigation plan. This plan is essential to remain eligible for federal and state emergency funds. We are seeking community members to provide online feedback 
to the draft plan by next Monday, September 25th. Um, you can do that by visiting go.weho.org backslash hazard plan. Uh, the city is encouraging stakeholders to attend Metro's community meetings and share feedback on the K-Line Northern Extension Rail Project. Please weigh in about your preferred route for the project through West Hollywood. Comments and interest um, from the public will be a factor in selecting the final route. The meetings are tomorrow, Tuesday, September 19th at noon, and that's a virtual meeting. And then there are in-person meetings on Saturday, September 23rd at 10 a.m. in Baldwin Hills, and Tuesday, September 26th at 5 p.m. in West Hollywood Park Aquatics and Recreation Center. Uh, for more information, please visit wehold.org backslash metro. Um, and then I'd like to invite the community to meet our new community development director, Nick Marisich. Um, Nick, who started today, um, has joined us, joined the city. Uh, we will be hosting three uh, in-person community meetings to meet Nick and the entire city's executive team and provide feedback about the city services. Um, those will be held Tuesday, September 26th at 6 p.m., Wednesday, September 27th at 1 p.m., and Wednesday, September 26th at, at 6 p.m. Um, information and details of locations can be found on wehold.org and backslash calendar. Um, and just lastly, I wanna provide the council and community uh, heads up that I will be at the ICMA uh, conference on the October 3rd, October 2nd meeting. Um, so myself, as well as Jackie Rocco, so neither of us will be here, and Christoph Schroeder will be acting city manager and uh, sitting in for that meeting, so be nice to him. <laughs> that concludes my report. Thank you, and for the public records, we still had seven more speakers in addition to one on Zoom, and the night is carrying on, which is why we ask that the rest be moved to the end to keep things efficient. So now we're going to go ahead and move to fiscal impact on consent calendar. Madam City Clerk, what is the fiscal impact on tonight's consent calendar? Thank you, Mayor. The fiscal impact on tonight's consent calendar with the addition of items 6B and 6D and the removal of item 2U is $8,390,208 in expenditures, $255,784 in revenue, and $7,945 in waived fees. We will now take the motion on the consent calendar. Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. The button would not work. Um, and that's noting the no vote of Council Member Meister on item 2D. Thank you. Thank you. We do not have uh, any public hearings and we don't have any legislative items tonight. We will now move to unfinished business to 5B, the cannabis program update.
Thank you. Good evening, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, and members of the City Council. I'm Danny Rivas, the City's Director of Community Safety. I'm um, also joining on this item is the City's Neighborhood and Business Safety Manager, Vito Adamitis, um, as well as Code Enforcement Supervisor, Jessica Benitez, as well as our City Attorney, Lauren Langer. Um, this item does serve as an update on the City's cannabis uh, program, which includes a status check on the progress made by applicants in opening their business. Um, included in the staff report before you this evening is a summary of events uh, highlighting the city's initial adoption of its cannabis ordinance, which occurred in November of 2017. Um, this established um, eight licenses in five different cannabis type categories, um, which are adult use retail, medical dispensary, consumption by smoking, vaping, or edibles, consumption by edibles only, and delivery services. Um, in addition, the staff report describes the applicant evaluation process that unfolded in 2018 that established the top scoring uh, applicants and summarizes changes made in 2019 as a result of staff recommendations as well as the stakeholder settlement agreement that was approved by the City Council in August of 2020. Um, since August of 2020, um, the only change that has been made to the City's cannabis ordinance is to allow for temporary cannabis events, which was adopted by the City Council in February of this year. A few changes we wanted to highlight since the last cannabis program update provided last year is regarding the status of business openings as reflected in the table on pages eight and nine of the staff report. Currently, there are nine cannabis businesses operating at this time, covering 21 different licenses. And I wanted to explain that because sometimes there's a little bit of misconception. So you may have one particular business that possesses four licenses or maybe two licenses or three licenses. So that's the reason why you're seeing the difference in terms of the number of businesses versus the number of licenses. Um, out of uh, the, uh, uh, excuse me, out of the 13 um, applicants, which are reflected in uh, the table as yellow, uh, yellow coded, um, that covers 16 licenses that are currently pending. Um, and then additionally in red at the bottom of the table, you have three waitlist businesses uh, reflecting three different licenses. So out of the 13 pending, which again is something that I wanted to emphasize and highlight, um, you have uh, three that are anticipated to open um, this fall uh, of this year. Um, and then you have five uh, that are anticipated to open in 2024 with the remaining five in 2025. Um, lastly, I wanted to just uh, summarize uh, that uh, in upcoming actions, um, staff, um, if it is the will of the city council this evening, uh, does plan on bringing forth and working on a proposed amendment that would uh, address uh, deadline for businesses, as there are current deadlines, as, as some are upcoming, and some businesses are obviously experiencing some challenges in terms of uh, opening or whether it's going through the development review process, et cetera. And so in speaking with them, uh, what staff is intending to do is to bring forth an item over the course of the next uh, three months um, by the end of this uh, calendar year and making some uh, proposed uh, suggestions to our cannabis ordinance. 
Um, so that concludes staff's presentation and staff is available to answer any questions the council may have. Are there any questions for my colleagues? Council member uh, Meister. Thank you, Mayor. So in the staff report, Danny, you talk about criteria for extensions. Can you explain what, what criteria was used for extensions that were given? Um, yeah, so what we uh, take into account when somebody is submitting for a request for an extension is we're looking at any sort of progress that's been made by the business. So for example, that could be um, the submittal of, of plans um, to planning or building and safety. Um, obviously, there are a number of uh, corrections and things that come about as a part of that process. So, you know, city staff, again, whether it's planning or building and safety, or even neighborhood and business safety staff will then provide comments that need to be reflected and updated on those plans that are submitted. So as we're seeing that back and forth occurring, um, and as long as that is continuing and there isn't uh, a huge gap um, in time, uh, per se, where you have somebody submit plans, um, and then staff provided, uh, in that instance, let's say their corrections or their response to what was submitted. Um, and then we just see months uh, go by, right? Six months go by where nothing has been resubmitted. Um, then that is certainly something that we would address. But if we're seeing that continual communication, clarification that is occurring, um, then we would consider that as a part of the review. If we're seeing that somebody has received planning approval, and then moved on to the next step in terms of submitting further building permits. If they are in fact making any sort of tenant improvements to the spaces, um, we would of course again cross-reference that as a part of the timeline that they submit to us. Um, if they secured say planning approval, building and safety approval, um, and are beginning construction, then again as a part of that review process for an extension, we would then take into consideration how many inspections uh, per se that they have called for, where they're at in that process. So what if, what if um, a business that uh, you know, went through the business license commission uh, hearing and they got their business license and they, they keep asking for uh, you know, uh, extensions but they don't even have a lease, would you say that that's progress? Um, no, I mean, so when they go before the Business License Commission, they, they receive a conditional approval. So they're not, in fact, right, issued the license. But um, if they haven't uh, submitted plans, um, if they haven't started making progress towards opening, um, taking into account whether or not they've secured a lease or not, um, that is something that we could consider and that we do consider, but it isn't the end all in terms of, you know, allowing us to make a definitive uh, decision if they are in fact, you know, submitting plans and at least starting through that process, um, which likely if they are submitting plans, it's for a particular space um, that, you know, the hope and the thought is, is that they've either established a lease or at least have some sort of agreement, right, um, before submitting uh, plans to, to the city. You would hope. Um, so. For the companies that are on the wait list, uh, where we've sent a letter, do we even know if some of those companies still want to move forward or if they exist? Like if they still exist, can we, have we, have we tried to contact them if, to at least get some kind of acknowledgement that they received the, the letter and they want to move forward? 
Right, so the three that are actually up that are reflected here, you notice that I didn't provide a specific date in the staff report. The reason for that is because we are setting up meetings, um, Councilmember Meister, as you mentioned, um, to kind of solidify, right, um, whether or not they're wanting to continue to move forward, because obviously there's been some time um, since uh, since the 2018, you know, uh, top scoring list and wait list has been established. And so we're certainly going to be meeting with them. And then the idea is that by the end of this month, uh, if we're able to connect, then we would issue those licenses. Uh, I'm sorry, issue the notices in terms of the wait list. And if we can't connect, like by October, I mean, you've sent the letter in September, right? So, I mean, how long do you think is reasonable to get a response from the wait list people? That they yeah, want to that, move forward. Right. That's definitely something that we're going to be consulting with the city attorney's office um, on um, to make sure that if there maybe is some flexibility in terms of staff kind of establishing something internally in terms of a policy or if that's something that um, we need to come back and return to the city council, maybe as a part of the proposed ordinance, we could add some language. So that's definitely something we'll be consulting with the city attorney's office on. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that tonight. Thank Absolutely. you. Councilmember Myers, do you have a... No, Councilmember Meister asked the questions that I was so sort of hoping to get into, so just looking forward to discussion. Thank you. Okay, Councilmember Heilman. Yes, thank you for this, and thanks for the update on uh, the status of these uh, establishments. Um, one of the things that I I'm wondering, um, and I don't want anyone who's on the wait list right now to panic, but at some point the applications from 2018 are not really going to be considered current. A lot of changes have occurred at the state level. How far down do we go on the wait list? And when do we start saying, you know, uh, if we're now down to uh, the, the establishment ranked 18th or 20th uh, of the applicants, do we say, no, we're going to start a new process, or we're just done? We, d we don't have any more uh, licenses to give. Yeah, I think, uh, Councilmember Robert, that's a, a, a great point and something to consider as we're looking ahead, you know, at possibly bringing back an item in the very near future of, of having that discussion again with the city attorney's office, kind of looking at the process. I know you were involved with that lengthy process um, leading up to 2018, and so... Um, if, if it is the will of the council, um, I certainly think that that's something that we can definitely look into and, and make an amendment to. I know we would need to make some changes more than likely to, to our ordinance that would allow us to kind of um, make some adjustments, right, in terms of how we're looking at the wait list or whether or not we want to maybe establish a new, a new process or, to your point, just conclude. Uh, the wait list. And also, also, and if I can add, the wait list has an expiration and it expires in 2025. Okay, so there will be a, a drop-dead date for anyone, and then in 2025, we could presumably begin a new process or just allow for renewals of existing licenses. We will be consulting with our city attorney about, and obviously with council, what steps to take. Yeah, and I, you know, people who have been on the wait list waiting patiently for their opportunity, I don't want to cut them out of it, but at some point, the wait list is so outdated and the changes are so significant that we shouldn't be relying on applications from 2018. Great, thank you. Mayor Pro Tem. 
Thank you so much, Mayor, and thank you, Danny and Vito. And yes, I know you all work very diligently on this. Um, Danny, I've been trying to find the word that we always, or the words that we talk about. Do we, in our code, have a definition for sustainable progress or the momentum that we view um, in terms of how you look as a third-party you know, negotiator when you look at this to grant extensions? Is there a, a definition written into our code for the word that I'm sure you have at the top of your head? We, we don't um, have a definition within our business license ordinance. Um, and again, I think the, the thought process uh, when it was established, and I'll also defer to our city attorney to add, because I know she was um, heavily involved in the process when we established it, is um, you know every business, every situation is a little bit different in terms of the circumstances that they're experiencing. So uh, we certainly wanted to make sure that um, we would review um, based off of kind of what I described and some of the examples. Um, and then, you know, if it was um, and it warranted and it more than likely we confirmed that, uh, yes, this business is submitting, going through the process, uh, maybe making a commitment, establishing a lease, maybe purchasing a property, et cetera, um, that we could make that consideration in granting a six-month extension. I think there's a lot of misconception, too, where folks assume, oh, well, there's two extensions, so that's automatic, um, and that's not the case. Um, each time that somebody submits for a request, it's for six months, um, and so we review, right, there's that check-in period, but there is a due date uh, to those two six-month extensions, um, but there is currently no... Uh, definition that describes that in the business license ordinance. Thank you. Um, with the passage, well, it hasn't been passed, signed by the governor yet, but I know AB 374 and its many iterations has been a priority for this city for many reasons. Um, are, our bis are our cannabis uh, businesses in the, I know we have a variety, are they able to turn over into a new kitchen to serve non-cannabis products and then alongside cannabis products? Are they gonna have to go through new processes and permits to maybe get a kitchen now that they could hopefully, once the governor signs it, um, include this stuff? What extra type of hoops will they have to jump through and is staff prepared to expedite some of that because that is also seen as a business saving measure for them to be able to do the both of those? Yeah, if they're wanting to add a kitchen, um, then they certainly will have to go through the process um, no differently than we have any, any other business. Um, but the, the great thing about AB uh, 374 is that it does allow for the sale of prepackaged food, yeah. um, right, and, and beverages, right, um, that are already, again, prepackaged. So food and beverages, it, it really wouldn't require them to make any sort of tenant improvements aside from just designating, right, a specific space which they could easily do and take advantage of, of serving food and beverages to their patrons. But if they wanted to get a little more robust and have a kitchen where they're preparing the food, then they would have to go through that process. I mean, yes, to answer your question, staff would be readily available in terms of you know trying to expedite to the extent that they can, um, as they always do, especially given the fact that we have you know 13 uh, businesses that are still pending and, and applicants that are waiting to go through the process and so we're all helping uh, and working together to try to do what we can but sometimes there's outside agencies um, that it's a little more difficult um, to try to get them to expedite and that's truly been uh, the bulk of kind of the holdup um, in terms of folks opening up and going through that process. Great. And my last question tonight, I know you're not really seeking any action. This is an update, but we could give you direction. Is it possible for us as a council, I hear what one of my colleagues is saying, I believe you already answered that with uh, 
the 2025 deadline, but I, I'm not seeing progress on several of these, and I highly doubt you are as well with knowing more than what we do. Um, can we say they're done and go to a wait list and who's ever next up and just give you that direction, or what is the process? Because I see businesses wanting to start and get off the wait list. I've been contacted by a number of them saying, like, what's going on, but I, I I am hesitant to sit there and say, when I see no, no, not known, I know that means see you in three to four years, and then they might sell it. I mean, do, what authority do we have, and maybe our city attorney can answer this, to just say, these companies, these businesses, you know, thanks, it's been great, but it's time to let new people at the bite at the apple. Yeah, so my understanding is that would definitely require us bringing back a municipal code amendment um, to include that language uh, in there if that is the council's will, and I'll defer to the city attorney to add anything in addition to that. Yeah, I think there's more information you would need before considering that to know how far each of these businesses are along, more than just what's in the yellow section of the spreadsheet, because they may have signed leases and invested and, and started moving towards a process. We just don't have the specifics in this spreadsheet to be able to make that kind of determination. But they have, I believe some of these businesses have um, invested in reliance on the uh, license they've been given. and so you'd want to support them in, in getting to that point. And if they get to their, their period where there's no more extensions available, then I think that's a different conversation. Thank you. Are there any public comments? Thank you, Mary. Yes, we do have speakers for this item. Okay. So we will move on to our public comment for this item. Scott Schmidt to be followed by Aaron Green. Hello, good evening. Scott Schmidt, resident of West Hollywood, executive director of Emerald Village Web West Hollywood. Uh, we represent the uh, nine open and operating cannabis businesses, the one that was open and the one that will be open next. Um, I first want to thank staff for your time putting this together and council for all of your thoughtful questions and conversations. Um, Internally, our organization has been talking about extending these deadlines and under what conditions for about three months. And as you've seen from the letter I sent you, compromise can be a messy process. Um, but what's important is uh, that because of how we got here with the 2020 settlement, um, that we need to come up with a process that uh, makes it easier to open and operate these businesses in addition to giving more time because if we haven't seen progress in two, three years, and we give two more years, what's that gonna accomplish if we don't improve the conditions? Um, and so I'd like to invite the city, uh, all the cannabis licensees, those in the chamber, uh, et cetera, uh, to work with us to form a broad compromise uh, to move forward in that process. And you know, as, as we do go forward, to be thoughtful about establishing um, you know, clear, uh, benchmarks and sort of guardrails for the process so that we make sure that uh, we get more of these businesses open because if we're going to be a great destination for cannabis like we are for LGBT nightlife and live music on the Sunset Strip, you know, we need more than two lounges. So um, the good news is after the next dispensary, there'll be no more dispensaries in West Hollywood. So uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for all uh, reaching out and for um, your thoughtful questions again. 
Thank you, Scott. Our next speaker is Aaron Green to be followed by Mikey Tana. Good evening, Mayor Shine, honorable members of the council. My name is Aaron Green. I'm the president of the AFRIA Consulting Group representing Villa Noble. Um, you know, with the city's cannabis ordinance, it broke a lot of barriers. It did a lot of things that had never been done before. But sometimes when you break some barriers, you hit a few bumps in the road along the way. And then, you know, sort of thrown into the mix, we, uh, we had COVID, we've had a lending crisis, we've had um, a whole bunch of other issues that have come up as have been mentioned in the staff report. Any sort of extension, whether it's under the current ordinance or any sort of change that you recommend needs to hit a threshold and Councilmember Erickson, you were talking about this, you know, the language being in the code right now, significant and diligent progress. Right. Um, what I would suggest as you're considering this is that there is a, a difference between those businesses that are investing in tenant improvements and those that are in ground up development. Um, Villa Noble is one of those that's pursuing ground up development. The staff report is suggesting that you consider an additional year of potential extension for uh, TIs and an additional two years for ground up development. What I would suggest or, or posit is that the difference in time it takes to go through the planning department process, the building permitting process for ground up development is much more significant than one year. And so if you're considering extensions this evening, perhaps consider the much greater amount of time it takes for a ground up development and make any difference between ground up and TIs uh, commensurate uh, in taking into consideration the very significant uh, difference that occurs there. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Our next speaker is Mikey Tana to be followed by Genevieve Morrow. Good evening, honorable council members. Thank you for the opportunity to comment. My name is Mikey Tana. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Noble 33 and co-owner of the proposed Villa Noble project. Our team at Noble 33 has created some of the most dynamic and experiential dining in Southern California, including West Hollywood. Some of our concepts include Toca Madera, Casa Madera, Sparrow Italia, Bar Magnolia, La Casita, and Tokaya Organica. As a company, our largest investment to date has been what we've invested in Villa Noble so far, which will be a ground up four-story cannabis lounge and restaurant located on the corner of Laurel and Santa Monica. We have already invested more than $17 million in Villa Noble, including purchasing the property for our ground up construction on the license and spending several million on pre-development expenses such as architects, designers, consultants, and property taxes. And we plan on investing a total of 50 to $60 million by the time this is open. At Villa Noble, we will also create more than 300 good paying jobs and generate millions of dollars in tax revenue for the city to invest in vital city services. Admittingly, the development process has been challenging even more than we anticipated. That's why we are requesting that the council direct staff to provide up to four additional years on our license to complete and open Villa Noble. We are grateful for the staff's two year recommendation, but two years won't be enough time. We're, if we aren't granted sufficient time to build the project, we will be forced to abandon it, which could be damaging on a lot of fronts. 
We are committed to West Hollywood. We want to deliver Villanoble to the city, bringing something no other cannabis business in the nation can. Please give us the opportunity to do so by granting us an additional four years. Thank you very much for your consideration. Thank you, Mikey. Our final speaker in chambers is Genevieve Morrill, and then we have a speaker on Zoom. Good evening, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, City Council members. Exciting night. Genevieve Morrill, President and CEO of the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce. I want to thank you for listening to us tonight. Yes, cannabis has been a long road, and we're not there yet, and we need your help so that we can eventually stop talking about it to you and just go on and renew licenses. But right now, that's not where we're at. There's been very few changes at the state. We did have a bill that uh, got tabled, but we have another one from Northern California going through. Hopefully, it's on the governor's desk to sign. That'll be a game changer for consumption lounges for food and beverage allowed to sell, as well as dispensaries. Um, we're very hopeful that this will um, be signed. And we're not asking for any uh, extensions for anyone it, who has not um, already or is, not, is sitting on a license. We're only asking for those who actually are taking stages to open. They must have a location. They must have pulled permits. They must be actively working to build or under construction. And there does need to be a difference between TI and ground-up construction. We know that takes longer. We know sometimes the delays are part of the city's process in the delay that it takes to go through the planning and building and safety process. Uh, it's a very volatile industry, and its financial investments are critical. And so many times what's happening is they're building and they're sitting waiting for financial investments to come in as well. So it's always a bit of a challenge, particularly since it's not federally uh, legal yet. Um, please take these challenges into consideration when you um, hopefully approve the extensions. Thank you so much. Thank you, Genevieve. We'll now move to our one speaker in Zoom. Our speaker in Zoom for this item is Jackie Steele. Jackie, you will have two minutes. Please press star six to unmute yourself. Hi, good evening. Am I heard? Go ahead. Okay, great. Hi, uh, good evening, Mayor, Mayor Pro Tem, and Council members. This is actually Jackie Subek. Um, I am a cannabis lounge owner and a 30-year resident. I was supposed to be there in chambers tonight, but sadly that didn't work out, so here I am. Um, I am happy to hear you guys are working on an amendment to the cannabis ordinance. I think it's time. Um, but I think that the city should take the opportunity to simplify and streamline this as much as possible, um, make things easier for those who have moved forward through the process, and make things more cut and dry for those who haven't, um, especially since we only have two out of 16 lounges open. Um, opening up a cannabis business is complicated. They're overtaxed, overregulated, and just super expensive. Um, even people who've opened in LA have had to close because it's too much to sustain. So I think that the way I see this is if we continue to add more regulation on top of existing policy, it becomes muddier. This is an opportunity, the way I see it, is to kind of clear the deck and, and get this right. I think that for, I agree with what's been saying, for all those who have the intention on opening and operating and they truly need it, give them extensions, nothing good can come from the city shutting down a small business that's trying to open. Um, you know, and for the other ones, if they've been on the wait list, give them 60 days to accept it or reject the offer and then move on down the wait list until the wait list expires. So I think there's things to do keeping it simple and making sure that the businesses who've spent so much money, so much time, have worked towards opening, have the ability to open. 
And finally, I just want to make a reference to an idea that was posed in written public comment. Please keep the extension approval process inside City Hall and not have it go back to the Business License Commission, which is expensive and time-consuming and ends up putting everything on hold and causes delays and setbacks. So thank you for your time, and thank you for taking up the amendment. Thank you, Jackie, and apologize for my blunder. Mayor, that was our last speaker no. on Zoom. Mayor, that was our final speaker for this item. Thank you. We're going to move to discussion on this item. Do any of my colleagues wish to start? It seems like this is just an update to us and that staff would be bringing back some recommendations as a future date, or do you need direction from us tonight? It would be helpful if staff would receive direction in terms of um, what to uh, bring back. I, I did hear, you know, the wait list uh, provision, so that wasn't something that we were considering, but any uh, direction that uh, council could provide would be helpful. And then in terms of the timeline as well, um, that would be helpful as well. Well, I'm certainly supportive of an extension and I'm certainly uh, aware that ground up um, construction is going to take longer than simple tenant improvements. So I would be supportive of, of that kind of uh, change. Maybe our new community development director will speed the process for ground up construction so it doesn't take as long for people. But. So it sounds like um, each of us can just give a direction uh, for staff to take under consideration. So let's go ahead and um, uh, Council Member Meister, do you have any direction on this? Uh, sure. Uh, I, um, I would like us to look at more concrete um, criteria and what constitutes progress. And I think that if, uh, if a business that isn't open, doesn't have a lease, or hasn't purchased property, and, and we don't see any real progress, I think we have to uh, take that into consideration that, that's, that that doesn't constitute progress if you don't have a lease. Um, I also think that ground up, uh, I, I'm open to three years uh, as long as, um, as long as there's, again, that there's a lease or property ownership and that we see progress. Uh, we have to set up some milestones because without concrete milestones, everyone's going to be kind of subjective about it. So um, I agree with Mayor Pro Tem that we need concrete, um, objective uh, standards and uh, milestones. Um, I think in terms of the wait list, I think it's really important that we contact those people, uh, th those businesses, and uh, to be honest, if they if they haven't responded, like you know, if they don't respond within, you know, two or three months, I don't I don't know that they would be considered a viable um, business for for us, um, and uh, I, I I would like to get. Uh, at the, when you bring this back, very specific for the for the businesses that are in the you know our yellow businesses here, um, what the issues are. I mean because we do know that there are 12 businesses open, and so obviously they managed to to get it going since they got their business license. So um, 
you know, let's see what the issues are. Uh, it may be things that we can do, or maybe this, those businesses are just never going to open. Um, and that's, that's where I am. Thank you. Thank you. Council Member Byers. Thank you. The area I'm uh, most concerned about is ensuring that the wait list ready, or the, the, the businesses sitting on the wait list are ready to go when that notice comes to them. So some sort of next in line notice. Um, I think, you know, 60, 90 days. Um, the idea that I want to prevent is that a business would become next in line, receive their 18-month notice, and then go a full 18 months without fulfilling any of that notice. So ideally, this ordinance would be updated to have a trigger before that 18-month notice would come to their door, that they're next in line for that. And this would help uh, us know if they're actually able to receive that 18-month opportunity window next. Um, I appreciate all the meetings you're having to get a better assessment of where businesses are at in that point in time and think that we'll have a lot of learnings to come as you continue those meetings. I'm open to the idea of three years because as I understand it, that would still mean that business could qualify for two additional six-month extensions on top of that additional three months is that, or three years. Uh, well, so when you say three years, that's three years on top of their current due dates? Correct. That they, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Okay. So I'm open to that idea, but I do think that imperative to all of that is a clear understanding of what we've been talking about, what it means to have uh, significant and diligent progress made. Um, I think that's all I wanted to cover in my notes. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you, Mayor. Um, yeah, so I agree with what Councilmember Meister was saying. I do think we need to get a definition of sustainable progress, whatever the words are that are in the staff report, much more eloquent than myself. Um, I, I'm, I can be supportive of three years. I'm actually more supportive of two with a one-year uh, additional kind of extension that would come back to us on an individual basis. I think that takes a longer conversation than what we have now. I, I think that also um, what I was seeing and what we spoke about, Danny, is that um, a lot of these businesses are scheduled to open fall 23, spring 24, January 24, and December 23, October 23. I think, and I would prefer you come back to us in late December, because if these people are actually, if these applicants are actually true to their word, we'll see, and if God be good, uh, three businesses off of this yellow list taken care of, and I, th I think that that would show us that these businesses are not just waiting around on these licenses and just trying to get done. I believe that they want to get done. I see Pleasure Med on the east side working like a dog, and I understand that they needed to get a new uh, electrical receptor, something like that, from SCE. So I would like you to come back technically in the second meeting in December. I don't know how my colleagues feel about that, but I think that shows good faith on both efforts. Um, and then... Um, I think we can have further conversations when you come back at that moment. Um, three years, two years, I'll, I'll figure out where I am then. Um, but I think that we are all putting everyone on notice here that these businesses, it's time to open and that's it. Otherwise, you're done. All right, um, I am also interested in uh, what exactly the criteria for significant sustainable progress would be. Um, I'm, I would like the city attorney to, as far as the wait list issue, I understand the reasoning that my colleagues are bringing up. I'm 
concerned about potential liability for us. So the city attorney analyzing that, if we take a position of that sort, I wouldn't want us to get then sued uh, for just randomly doing that. Um, so um, as far as the timing, I actually, uh, with regard to all of the issues with building from ground up and development and delays and labor issues and supply issues and all of it, um, I would be supportive of uh, three years plus a, um, um, an option for the business to come to either the business license, I don't know if it would be business license or planning, uh, rather than to straight to us. I think our uh, commissions are there for a reason for them to demonstrate if there's been significant sustainable progress and or is there something out of their control um, that, that caused a delay or something on our part and give them an option of maybe another two six-month periods. Um, that's what I'm thinking of. Because we want to make sure that these businesses move forward, but not putting a stringent um, parameter on them that uh, is, is hard to meet, given the circumstances. Do you have all the, everything you need? We do, we do, Excellent. thank you. Thank you so much. We are gonna go ahead and move to item 5C um, for, we're gonna nominate, uh, try to see if we can get the votes for one nomination for the Older Adults Advisory Board at large appointment. There's two, but we're going to get one. What is there, by the way, uh, that we can do additionally to get some more applications in? Well, we are doing a national voter registration pop-up tomorrow, so maybe we can also have um, cards out there with the QR code. I don't know why I'm getting reverberation off this mic. Um, with cards so that if people are interested, it takes them right to the application. Um, I did reach out to the individual that Council Member Heilman mentioned at the last council meeting. Unfortunately, they weren't interested in this board. Um, we can do some more pushes on social media, which is kind of challenging because as we know, some of our older adults don't use social media. We could reach out to um, our commissioners and advisory board members and say, hey, if you know anyone who'd be interested in serving on this board, please have them apply. <coughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Okay, so maybe that's the simplest thing to do. Yeah, could we include neighborhood watch groups into that if we have Perfect. the liaison contact? Uh, yeah, I can ask Danny for the neighborhood watch <laughs> information. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Can we also reach out to the senior center as well as uh, some of the buildings that are um, populated by seniors or yes. older adults? Yeah, actually one of our applicants lives there in one of those buildings. Okay. Um, but yeah, I can work with um, rent stabilization staff to get that information. Great, thank you. So, um, do, uh, Mayor Pro Tem, do you have a nomination? Yeah, may I? I would like to nominate Russell R.J. Holgan. Okay. Any other nominations? Uh, I'm happy to, well, no. I'm gonna not press my luck tonight, <laughs> thank you. Okay. Okay, are the other council members in agreement with Russell R.J. Holguin as the next at-large appointee? Seeing the affirmative, I'll just go ahead and do a voice vote just to keep it for the record. Council Member Byers? Yes. Council Member Heilman? Aye. 
Yes. Council Member Meister. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Yes. Mayor Shine. Yes. Okay, so one of our at-large appointees is Russell R.J. Holguin to the Older Adults Advisory Board. Wonderful. Um, thank you. Let's go ahead and congratulations, Russell. Uh, let's move to new business for 6A Community Garden Program. Can we get a brief, uh, a very brief report? Brief report. Thank you. Mayor, we're I, actually going to switch to Zoom because we're going to run it through there and we have a speaker in Zoom. So. Okay. Actually, just one second. This is the one that Mayor Pro Tem tried to put on consent and Council Member Heilman, you had a question, a question about it? We actually have to give direction on this item. I see. Okay, for the locations. Thank you. <laughs> Helen, your mic is off. My mic is, oh, it's on now. Good evening, Madam Mayor, uh, Mayor Pro Tem, and Council Members. My name is Helen Collins. I'm the Facilities and Field Services Division Manager for the City of West Hollywood. And I have Rick Averson here with me, who is the um, Manager for the Urban Design and Architectural Studio for the City of West Hollywood. Um, as you had requested, I'll do a very brief presentation. Um, as you're aware, there have been um, several public speakers at this meeting, as well as other um, city meetings in regards to the fact that our current community garden on Detroit is closing at the end of October. And during the budget process, council asked us to look at alternatives. Um, at this time, we've not been able to find a private property, which has been our standard um, over the years for community gardens. So there was a recommendation that we look at Plummer Park, um, as well as um, many speakers came to the community, uh, to the public facilities and public facilities recreation infrastructure commission um, to speak on this and the, and the commission has recommended also that we look at Plummer Park. And then we also brought this item to the Plummer Park ad hoc uh, council ad hoc subcommittee and they as well recommended that we look at Plummer Park. So in doing so, um, Rick and myself uh, did a presentation at the Plummer Park ad hoc committee providing um, two different, three different locations. Um, next slide please. The first location um, that we presented was this location here, um, which is on the Fuller side in the north part of the uh, lawn at Fuller. This actually is not, after further analysis, is, this would not be an ideal location. It, it's a great location, just not an ideal layout um, due to the fact that um, you have uh, extensive shade at this location. Um, because the trees do not provide any sunlight through them. So this um, A1 is not necessarily a, um, a layout that we would recommend. Um, next slide. Um, this is more, we're thinking this is a more ideal location. While you will receive some shading, there would be sunlight during the day and it would provide um, the gardeners the ability to grow some vegetation. Again, they're in parks, you tend to have more trees, so you do tend to have more shade, but um, there are some items that can be um, grown in those locations. And next slide, please. Um, and then there's a location, also an additional location, um, A2, um, which would also provide um, 14 beds at that location. Um, and, and again, there would be shade, but again, enough sunlight to be able to grow certain types of uh, vegetables. And then the final location. 
This is a new location and um, somewhat of an out-of-the-box thinking location in the sense that we went away from the traditional in the park where the grass is. Um, and since we'd be do ele doing elevated beds, this location receives a lot of sunlight. Um, we've looked at this location. It doesn't seem to be a location that um, is used constantly. And um, we think that it would um, add to the community gardening program if we were to add it in the park. So when we went to the ad hoc committee, we brought this item and the other two locations. And um, to our surprise, the ad hoc committee suggested that we do all of them. Um, so at this time, we're here before the council this evening to see if that is the desire of the, the entire council to move forward with all three locations or to choose one of the three locations or combined locations. Helen, I have a question. It seems like some of the locations are actually overlapping, so I don't know how you could do all three. Uh, obviously, not this one, the parking lot, but of the other three, it seems like some overlap a bit. On the fuller side, we would be proposing um, location 1R. If you could go back two slides, please. This, uh, we would, on the fuller side, we'd be proposing this location. And then the next slide would be, um, if you could go to the next slide, please. This, okay. I'm sorry, keep going. So that we would not propose this location. Okay. This location would provide too much shade and we don't think anything could be grown there. If you go to that location, you'll see there's no grass under the trees. So this is, we're kind of changing out A1 for A1R. So that and would be the... The next one was the one that is sort of at the north side of this. Yeah, this is the, and then this, this one here would be um, the second location, and then the parking lot would be the third location. So it would be north and south on Fuller, and then the uh, north parking lot. So this time, staff is seeking guidance from the council to see which, if you would want to go with one, all three, or none at all. Okay. Um, do uh, if there's no more questions. Do we have any public comments on this? Yes, Mayor. We have four individuals in chambers and one in Zoom. Okay. Must hear those. Okay. Our first speaker in chambers is Andrew Solomon, to be followed by Santo Ragno. Council members, um, I guess John Erickson doesn't care what I have to say, uh, but I live here in West Hollywood and I'm a member of the Public Facilities Commission. Uh, I'm just kidding about John, but um, I uh, want to urge you all to support this item tonight, um, specifically all three locations, the A1R, A2, and A3. Uh, we on the Public Facilities Commission um, heard this item in our July meeting uh, and recommended um, the fuller the Fuller Avenue location as, as a place to consider for this. By the next month in August, uh, at the Plummer Park Ad Hoc Committee, which Councilmember Meister and Erickson are on, um, you all, I, I want to I commend staff for the out-of-box thinking that, that you had to recommend an additional location uh, in the parking lot as well. Um, and now, here we are in September, and it's here, so I think there's you know, there's oftentimes frustration, especially when it comes to a capital project, that things can take too long, but uh, for staff to turn all of this around in 60 days 
Helen and Rick, I think it's tremendous. Um, this, is, this is not the greatest uh, location for a community garden in West Hollywood, but it's the greatest location right now. And I think there's an existential problem for the gardeners. They're gonna get kicked out of their current location in October. What can we do right now to give them a home? Um, applaud you all for coming up with a solution for them. And these three locations combined is actually more beds. I think it's 41 beds. Uh, and the Detroit Garden only has 30 beds. It's actually an increase in uh, the opportunity for people to be able to participate in this program. Um, so thanks to staff, uh, thanks for your consideration, and I hope you'll vote to approve it tonight. Andrew, real quick, are you speaking on behalf of the commission or as a resident? I guess as a, I'll say as a resident. Okay. Easier, right? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Our next speaker is Santo Ragno, to be followed by Patrick Blood. I'm speaking like him. As a resident, I'm Santo Rano, resident, but I'm also a new member of the uh, um, Public Facilities Commission. And the resident gardeners of West Hollywood emphatically expressed their deep concerns to the Public Facilities Commission, begging the city to provide a space for their community gardening. The commission voted six to one to recommend the city provide a space, however large or small. The community garden provides a space for residents of all ages who would not normally have a place to plant vegetables and grow their own plants and flowers. The community garden provides a nurturing pastime for some, helps others with limited income save money on food, share fruits and vegetables with their friends and neighbors who don't have access to nutritional foods, and provides emotional comfort for residents afflicted with PTSD. On, on behalf of the Parks, Facilities, and Recreation Commission, I would strongly ask the council to approve the three new spaces for the community garden at Plummer Park. Thank you. Thanks, Anto. Patrick Blood to be followed by Sam Elbaz. Good evening, honorable council members. Uh, thank you so much for hearing me. And thank you uh, to staff for preparing this amazing report on the community gardens, which I fully support. Um, one thing I noticed in the report, council members, is there was a historical timeline on ADA accessibility to these lots. However, what was lacking in this report was how the locations of these particular lots are accessible to people with disabilities. Um, so as you consider where to place these amazing gardens, I really encourage you to look at what the accessibility is for our residents. We have heard um, what these gardens can do. It improves uh, people's mental state, it increases a sense of community, things that people with disabilities really need access to. And people with disabilities should never be an afterthought. As a former member of the Disabilities Advisory Board, I'm speaking of course as an individual, these concerns are always on the top of my mind because I'm often heard with, we, we didn't think of that. And people with disabilities are not an afterthought. It needs to be thought of in this plan. So when I was looking at this recommendation, it says a typical garden. It doesn't say these gardens. A typical garden set up and it listed ADA as one of the elements but it didn't list what these three particular ones were, and staff might have those answers, but I think it's really critical to include in this report. Thank you very much, council members. Thank you, staff. Thank you, Patrick. Sam Elbaz, and then we will go to Zoom. Good evening, everyone. It's a pleasure and an honor to get to speak in front of all of you again. First, I wanna thank Helen and Rick, thank you for all of your work thus far. And then I'd like to echo in thanks for Andrew 
and Sanja's comments. They've been just, everyone has been so lovely in this process and that it would be a shame to see this end before coming to an amazing resolution. So, uh, first, I want to express gratitude for the Detroit Garden as it is. I've been a West Hollywood resident, and I've been a community garden, gardener in the Detroit Community Garden, and I've absolutely loved it. I can't express the importance of it. It's given such an amazing opportunity for our community to come together as neighbors. It's been giving a lot of pollination opportunities for our butterflies and our bees. It's been giving a lot of food, healthy food, for a lot of our neighbors who need it, uh, myself included. So I wanted to emphasize the need for the garden space, which you already know. We've already talked about it. And then I want to share wholeheartedly how much I would really appreciate us taking action for all three spaces. While the Detroit uh, Community Garden was wonderful for the 20 plots that were there, they only served 20 residents. And by taking on all three areas, we're expanding the opportunity for more people to get involved and for more visibility. The park is well trafficked, whereas the, the Detroit Community Garden wasn't so. But every single day, today included, I've been asked about how to get involved and how to have a plot in the space. So having more accessibility and more availability would be lovely. We also talked about sun exposure. I know that's been a big point, uh, but this would also alleviate that, uh, as well as maintenance costs. I know that's been an issue in the past, uh, but we as a community garden have been very self-sufficient in cleaning up after ourselves, and it could be as an ad-needed basis in addition to the typical parts, the parks to fund uh, planning. Sorry, I'm out of time. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. We'll now move to Zoom for the one individual in Zoom. Our next speaker on this item is Christopher. Hello. Christopher, you'll have two minutes. Go ahead. Hello. Thank you. Um, sorry if there's bad reception. I can't do anything about that. But good, uh, good evening. My name is Christopher. I'm currently a gardener at Detroit Community Garden. Firstly, I wanted to say thank you for all your hard work everyone has been doing in trying to continue this beloved city program. Thank you to the city staff, commissioners, council members, the fellow gardeners, and the passionate community at large whose daily kind words of encouragement really support us, gives us that extra push to keep our energies up and continue with our mission to keep the community garden program alive in our city. I had a chance to review the published staff report for this meeting. A few things stood out. On page four of six, last bullet point titled proposed garden plots it reads it is recommended that elevated beds versus the race beds be used which are smaller than the current beds being used in detroit um i would caution uh taking a complete replacement strategy of the beds for two main reasons one being that we have the current beds 21 might i add and it seems necessarily wasteful in terms of cost and materials to not reuse those. Two, there are pros and cons to both raised beds and elevated beds. I believe a dual strategy is the best approach um, to get benefits of both. Elevated beds are great for wheelchair-bound community members as well as older community members who benefit from not having to constantly be bending, or bending down um, as they garden. Elevated, elevated beds are also beneficial since they tend to be more compact in size and you can fit more in, in a small area. 
but the cons of elevated beds are they are also limiting in what you can grow due to their significantly shallower pan, making it difficult to grow things such as potatoes, carrots, beets, et cetera. Another con is that you are also limited in what you can grow due to the starting height, making it height prohibitive to grow viney plants such as tomatoes, cucumbers, et cetera. And it would be, you would Thank you, Christopher. need a ladder to harvest those things. Christopher, so you- I believe a dual strategy is a win-win for this. Thank you so much, Christopher. Mayor, that was our final speaker on this item. All right. Uh, do my colleagues have any? Let's discuss this. Uh, was there a subcommittee recommendation? Yeah, I was just gonna. <laughs> gonna say, what is the subcommittee recommendation? May I, Councilmember? Um, so yeah, we had a very robust uh, Plumber Park um, ad hoc subcommittee. Um, we we came to the conclusion for all three plots for a couple of reasons. One, many expressed by the public here. Two, um, they were completely ADA accessible. That was a point, Patrick, that you raised, but it was in the other staff report. We can provide that for the public um, and something that was mentioned, but also, um, adding to the nature, the popularity of the program, finding this space, reusing, uh, in quotes, dead space that's not really used for this life and vibrancy, and also kind of as a way to give back to the community from taking the Detroit Garden back, obviously to build all 100% affordable housing, but then um, adding to the list because it's become so popular as many members of the public can show because it is, uh, 8.30 on a Monday and they are here with us rather than living their lives um, like normal people and we thank them for that. Hi, Andrew, yes, thank you for identifying yourself as a member of the public. Um, but additionally, um, that was kind of where we came to and did I miss anything, Councilmember Meister? I would just say that uh, what we know about the Detroit Garden is that there was a wait list. So there were, what, 30 beds at Detroit and there 20. were people I'm sorry. 20, there's 20 beds in Detroit. Okay. And there's 61 people on the waiting list. Yeah, so there were a, a number of people on the waiting list really wanting to get in there and start gardening. Um, we also felt that this would be a way of activating an area in a passive way because the gardeners are not like, um, they're not like do the dog park. <laughs> and it's not like, um, it's not like pickleball. Um, it's a it's a little bit of a, a quieter, except maybe Andrew, a quieter um, uh, activity, which would still activate uh, that area uh, on both both sides, both at, at uh, the this the uh, north parking lot as well as the um, as well as the uh, fuller side of the park, and we also saw it as a. As a, as a possibility for opportunities to educate um, our, you know, our kids uh, at Plummer Park. Um, there's just been a lot of interest in that, and we thought that there's a way that we can bring an educational element to the, um, to the garden. So we thought that that would be a positive, as well as all the other things that the, that the speakers uh, mentioned. Um, I'm interested in, in whatever we can do. So, you know, if we can do A1R and A2 and A3, and I know that we talked about staggering, that it would be easier to start with A3, I believe, the, 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 um, right. the parking lot side, uh, and, then, uh, and then work on the others. So that would give uh, the gardeners from Detroit an opportunity to maybe, you know, continue their gardening uh, 
when Detroit closes by staggering that and getting that up and running. Thank you. Councilmember Heilman has, has raised his, his button. <laughs> thank you, Mayor, and thank you, Helen. Thank you to everyone who spoke. Um, I think the um, idea of doing this at the parking lot is a really good idea, uh, and I certainly support that. I have concerns about um, the fuller section. Um, a portion of it seems uh, unobjectionable to me, and, and I love the community garden program. That's why we started it many years ago. I'm a little bit worried that what we're hearing from today are the people who are really passionate about community gardens, and we're not necessarily hearing from residents who may just want to sit in that fuller section and read a book or might want to use it to just have a conversation with a friend. Um, so I'm, I'm worried that we're taking a significant portion of that land and dedicating it to individuals for one use to the detriment of others who may want to use the park for other purposes. Can we go back to the uh, visuals on the PowerPoint, if that's possible? Just give us one sec, because we're running that through Zoom. And, and while they're um, doing that, just real quick point of clarification, um, staff is recommending this is a mid-year budget item, um, so we would not be ready to go right as the garden is closing, we would probably be looking at spring planting season. So A3 is, you know, something I have no objection to, and I think it's a great idea, great use of space. Can we go to the next one? Um, A2 seems reasonable. I don't think that actually interferes with anyone else's use of the park, and it gets sunlight. Can we see the other options? This is the one that I have a little bit of concern about simply because it seems to dominate the, the street frontage uh, along uh, Fuller um, in terms of other people coming in to use the park. And then the other one you're not recommending, correct? The other one we're not recommending because it, it sits right in the middle and it, it gets doesn't no get shade sunlight at or it doesn't get sun, enough sun, right, yeah. And it takes up a much larger footprint. We would probably need to fence in the entire area. At least with A1R, we would probably only do half of the location. Okay. So is the committee recommending A3 and I, I'm, <laughs> I'm losing the numbers now. A1R and? A2 and A3. Okay. I, I just, I'd like you to look at... Um, the, the one along Fuller to see if that is going to, at least the, the beds along the Fuller side, if that is going to in some way interfere with sort of the public's general entrance in the park. Maybe there's a way to space that or to modify that a little bit so it still appears to the rest of the public that this is a welcoming park for everyone. Councilmember, I might add a uh, couple of things. The A2 location, there are some concerns about solar uh, exposure. There is an apartment building to the south there and a tree. Um, and so one of the reasons A1R was looked at was that the growing season and the exposure, that would be a, a little bit better um, for the gardeners themselves. But another point that I wanted to bring out is 
that what we've learned through the various locations is these are not just places to plant, they're, they're places of socialization and community building. And a lot of individuals who didn't know each other, who you know, befriend one another. And I think what's nice about both the A3 and the A1R is that they're able to be integrated with some seating, some tables, some other elements that could be used by other members of the public, even if they're not gardeners. And the one I, I'm concerned about is the A2 because it's, it's linear. There really isn't that socialization opportunity as much. Um, but it is maybe the best location for um, the raised beds versus the elevated, which was a comment that was brought up. So we did our best to balance all these different forces. Um, but really, the A3 and the A1R will be the premium growing beds, I would say. Thank you. Can, can I just add I mean, to Councilmember Howman's point about other uses? I don't know <clears throat> Excuse me, how often this area is used for events, but I know like during National Night Out, that's where the Russian Advisory Board has their annual event. Um, this would certainly, the A1R would certainly impact that. Um, I don't know if we've looked at other events that happen in that area that would be impacted. Um, there, there are other events that take place, and it also limits the ability to program it in the future. I mean, that's you, that's always the you know concern is we are a park for city um, in regards to the national averages. So when you take away open open green space and limit it to a smaller group, then you do limit your ability to program that space. The the area that is to the I have to get my direction straight now. Uh, west, east, north, south, <laughs> to the south, uh, on the other side of that tree. Did we look at that at all? To the south. So the south of that tree. So in other words, in the same, in the same general rectangle as A1R. But if you go to the, go to the right, and then, in other words, we're, on the other side of the walkway. That is. That's a east. <laughs> Keep going. To, oh. All right, to the right. There. What is that? Is that a doable area? It, it does get a lot of shade, and it's a lot smaller area. That's closer to the street itself. Um, so we were trying to 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 limit that. But I mean, that is also a, a possibility. We haven't looked at that area fully, but um, it does receive a little bit more shade. That 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 whole area is shaded, but that. Okay. Sure, Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you so much, Madam Mayor. Um, <clears throat> I think also regarding Fuller is the easy explanation for the Russian Advisory Board is we can also move the location. I understand Fuller is there, but I think one thing that we thought at the ad hoc committee and one thing that I see constantly over there is that no one is really sitting on that park. I mean, I walk through the park pretty much every day going through Fuller. I'm, I'd rather activate it with life than having it be stagnant. Um, and I think it also deters aspects that we hear back from residents all the time, which is helpful to do that. So I'm in support of all three places. I'm going to make that motion. Um, and Councilmember Myers has not uh, spoken, and neither oh. have I. OK. So, um, Sorry, thank you. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, I had concerns about the extent of use in other spaces. I think some of that's been surfaced. Um, Curious, are these all billed as long-term locations? What's the lifespan on these projected? Um, I mean, what, 
we build for public consumption, so th they are built for long-term use, but also temporary use in the sense that um, I mean, we would come in and take away probably four to six inches of uh, grass and put in DG, and then we would put fences around them and then run water to that location. So that would be our general template for um, the uh, ones on Fuller. And the, the, on the north side, we would probably just end up putting in the footings for the fence um, and then running water to that area. So that's why the north, the one in the north parking lot is much easier to achieve. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, like it... I mean, it would, you could have it long-term, but like everything else, um, it could easily come out as well, just like the garden at um, Detroit. I didn't say permanent for a reason. <laughs> long-term. Long-term, yes. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is always the fear, is that, not the fear, but the, yeah, that is the fear of that if you want something to be temporary, eventually, it, it, it can be long-term. I mean, we, the, just so you know, the Hart Park Dog Park is temporary, and it, I've been here for 15 <laughs> years, and it was here before I got here, so. Great example. I, um, just, I'm sorry, oh, sorry Council Member. We do also have direction as part of the long-term uh, visioning for Plummer Park to include Great. community garden as part of that process, too. So maybe might find a permanent home as well. Um, like Council Member Heilman, my preference would be for the A3 a2 and then A1R, um, but you really sold me, Rick, on the component of the community aspect and knowing that the A1R would be accessible to a broader subset of the public than just those who have beds there and, and utilized in a different way. Yes, we may have to make adjustments on what people have known to be a, utilize, a space for themselves, but if there's something that's enhanced and everybody in the community is open to it, then I think I'm more on board than I was before. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I've heard for years now the need for community gardens, community gardens, community gardens from many, many residents. And just looking at the fact that there's 61 people on the wait list for Detroit um, is uh, um, convincing for the need for all three. And I trust the subcommittee um, and their analysis that they've gone through. Um, for uh, bringing us these recommendations. So I am in, I am in favor of all three this evening uh, for the community gardens, and it looks like we have a motion. May I? I'll yes. just read into the record. Yes. I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna make a motion to move forward with the three uh, ones uh, recommended by staff, and obviously this is at mid-year. Thank okay. you. Do all the council members understand the motion on the floor? I do, but I was going to give an additional or make an additional suggestion that we ask staff to look at the uh, A1R in terms of the placement to make sure it doesn't appear to be a barrier to entry to people coming into the Fuller Park. That, that's totally accept. I think that's totally okay. fine, yeah. Okay, and so with that, the, the motion on the floor is to move forward with the three sites identified in the presentation, and then to ask staff just to look at the A1R in terms of placement to ensure people can still enter the park. And with that, we have a motion and a second, and we have voted, and the motion passes 5-0. Thank you.
Wonderful. Let's go ahead and move to item 6C, which is proposed amendments to the business license tax ordinance to expand incentives for businesses renewing leases in West Hollywood. Councilmember Heilman, would you yeah. like to present this to us? I'll, I'll just do this briefly. We already have a provision in our business license tax ordinance that gives incentives to very large businesses that want to renew their lease. Uh, and I'm suggesting that we amend it to uh, allow that same treatment for smaller businesses. We also have a provision in the business license tax ordinance regarding the Santa Monica reconstruction project, which is long since over. I'm recommending that we ask our city attorney to simply repeal that provision. It already ended uh, by its own terms. And then uh, I, I didn't want this to go on to consent because I did want to mention that I know that the chamber and a number of businesses have been asking for rebates of prior year's uh, sales tax, uh, or rather business license tax, and this item would not preclude that. Our staff is looking at that request and they're going to bring something back to us, I believe at our next meeting or the one after that with some suggestions and recommendations. So I just wanted to make that point that this does not preclude other um, actions that we might take to assist our business community. And I'm glad to answer any question. <laughs> Are there any questions for Councilmember Heilman on this? Nope, okay, uh, any public speakers on this item? No, Mayor, and they've, we have a motion and a second. Okay, well, I'm supportive, it looks like we're, okay. Excellent, and the motion passes. Council uh, Member Meister, can you push? I know they're, they're not cooperating this evening. And now we, now we are moving to excluded consent to item 2U, an analysis of the city's HOA fee policy and inclusionary housing condominiums. And we have a brief uh, report on this from staff, please. Uh, yeah, we have a, a brief presentation if council would like that. Great. Uh, while that's loading up, I'm Allison Bartle. I'm the project development administrator. Uh, not, not this one. No, no, this is not the one. We've, we, that was table. <laughs> Great. And I'm also joined by Brian League, who's our property development manager, and Laura Byrie, who's our economic development director. Um, so the item before you tonight is analysis of the city's HOA fee policy in inclusionary housing condominiums. Next slide. And just as background, the City of West Hollywood's inclusionary program has been around since 1986. It requires the development of inclusionary units in common interest developments such as condos, and it limits the amount of regular and special assessments that can be applied to inclusionary housing units, and an example of that would be HOA dues or uh, homeowners association fees. It's resulted in 394 inclusionary housing units, including 78 condos. And um, it should be noted that the condo units have to be retained by the developer or sold to a nonprofit. Um, and so far, none have been sold to low or moderate income households. Next slide. Um, the background on this item is in 2022, the owners of a market rate condo building approached the city expressing concern about the cap that the city um, puts on assessments of inclusionary units and they stated that the total assessment charged to inclusionary units was not directly proportionate to the total percentage, 
percentage of inclusionary units in the development, and that the cap on assessments not required by or the ordinance and is not a provision of inclusionary housing agreements. Um, and we just wanted to highlight that rather this condition is imposed through the conditions of approval, and it's required to be put into the uh, covenants, conditions, and restrictions of an HOA. Next slide. Um, so as further background, this particular project is a 40-unit condo building. It has four low-income units and four moderate-income units that are part of our program. The eight inclusionary units pay 11.11% of assessments because that's the amount of square footage of affordable housing in the, in the full project. Um, but those units do constitute 20% of the units. They're eight of the 40 units. So the CCNRs that the city requires um, this language to be put into the CCNRs states that the cap on regular and special assessments for the affordable units shall not exceed 11.11%. And that's where the, the issue is coming to a head. Um, so as background, so next slide, um, we, we came uh, to city council on March 21st and you guys directed staff to analyze the issue. We retained Goldfarb and Lippman, uh, a law firm that we've used before to study affordable housing and land use, and they have been assessing our existing policy and providing us recommendations. And just as, as deep background, next slide, um, there's, there's three areas that they looked at in terms of the legality of the city's program. The first one was the Davis-Sterling Act, which allows HOAs to levy assessments so long as they do not exceed costs for which they're levied. And in the report that we provided, you know, they went through to that and they found that our caps on assessments do not violate Davis-Sterling. And then the second area, next slide, they looked at the Department of Real Estate's regulations and the DRE requires HOAs to establish reasonable arrangements for levying assessments, and the city's policy of the caps for inclusionary units does not violate DRE regulations because it is proportionate on square footage. And then the third area that, that um, you know, we wanted to study, next slide, was really about special assessments, and so, um, there was concern that the city's policy creates an undue burden on, in cases of special assessment. So I gave an example. If there were 100 equally sized units um, in this development, but only 30 units were affected by, for example, a roof emergency, um, and seven of those units were inclusionary, then the inclusionary units would receive 23% uh, of the benefit of the repair, but they would only be assessed 11.11% because of that cap. And so in studying that and in, in looking at the case law, um, it's found and it's supported that despite of the lack of proportionality, California courts have been hesitant to disrupt unequal all allocations because uh, this percentage was clearly set forth in the CCNRs and the bylaws. And next slide. Uh, what we want to highlight is that there are some limitations for what we can decide tonight. And so it should be noted that caps on assessments in existing CCNRs can only be changed by unanimous vote of the membership. And the city does not have the legal authority to unilaterally amend CCNRs for existing projects. Um, second, the recommendations would only be applicable to future projects. And, um, and lastly, we just wanted to highlight the existing owners may consider other legal actions upon advice of their, of their own legal counsel. And maybe last slide. So uh, these are the recommendations in the staff report. Um, we provided our update. We are 
one of the recommendations from, from Goldfarb and Lippmann and that we support is to narrow um, the city's applicability of its current policy. So right now, if the developer of a, of a condo project retains ownership of those inclusionary units, uh, they also get to apply the cap, but we're suggesting that the units must be managed by a nonprofit or directly sold to a low-income household in order to qualify for that cap. And then lastly, you know, on the books of our inclusionary program, we have had a for sale option, but it's not been developed. And we would like to fast track, and we are working with uh, John Holub and Rent Stabilization and, and the House Keys, who we partner with, to fast track that and to get an operational, uh, you know, low-income buyer's program. And it's also in our housing element, and it's, it's a goal of the city, and, and we would like to uh, move forward as quickly as we can. And I think with that, questions? All oh, right, yep. questions from my colleagues? Councilmember Meister. Thank you. So uh, regarding the concern on the special assessment, um, if, the, if the properties were actually owned by uh, either a nonprofit or lower income uh, qualifying uh, people who have purchased the property. Um, and I guess this might be a question for Lauren Langer. Uh, is, is, is our housing trust fund, uh, I know we don't give gifts of uh, public uh, money, but if, if the housing trust fund is used to subsidize assessments, is that something that, that can happen? If it's the housing trust fund, not the general fund. Looking forward, or you mean Both. for existing projects that have already been approved? Both. Okay. So the limits on the affordable housing trust fund are in the code. Um, and I, I don't believe it can be used for that purpose. The funds um, at the discretion of the council can be used for pre-development costs, land or air rights, acquisition, administrative costs, gap financing, or to lower the interest rate of construction loans or permanent financing. In a project that includes market rate units, trust fund monies shall only be provided to assist in the acquisition and construction of those affordable units, low and moderate income households. So the money is provided from developers in lieu of providing the affordable units on site, and it's only to be used for pr primarily acquisition and construction. But if we, but it could be if the ordinance was changed, it could be used for maintenance of such units. I'm not suggesting that we do that tonight, but I'm just asking the question. We have a, a fund that's full of money, and the money was taken for a specific purpose. It was calculated at a specific rate for these purposes. So I, I wouldn't suggest using existing money that you have for a different purpose other than the, what's in the fund. If you're talking about a completely different fund in the future, it's something we could possibly look at and whether there's a nexus there. But for the existing funds, I wouldn't recommend changing what the money's used for. Okay. And, um, and in, uh, in general, it, are HOA uh, fees determined by unit size or square footage? I mean, unit size or number of bedrooms. How is an HOA fee decided on market rate, if you know that? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's multiple ways it's assessed. It's it's, it's often assessed by square footage. Like for example, if you had a, a because you want to make it fair, if it's a three bedroom condo versus a one bedroom, that three bedroom condo is taking up more space within the uh, development. But again, there's many different ways, and I'm sure Councilmember Heilman could could weigh in with his expertise. Um, square footage is common, but there you could do it by unit. Uh, in this particular building, there are ones and twos. There are units that have outdoor patio space. You know, there are units that are of various types. So again, it's it's that the HOAs were created, they were, you know, their law, and to be changed, it has to take collective, you know, they have to decide for themselves that it would change. So that's one of my other questions. So when you talk about collective and all of the all of the members of the what happens when it's a developer that owns those affordable units as opposed to the people themselves? So d d who who actually votes? Yeah, well, I mean, in the example of this one, those owner. The, the owner, owner, the right. record the owner, owner. The owner, and if yeah, that's, that's the developer. Yes. Yes. So the developer yeah. would be the not not be people who are renting. Correct, but in the developer. case in the case of this particular um, building, it, the eight units are owned by Los Angeles Housing Partnership, and they're a nonprofit partner that has maintained ownership of those units. So in that case, you know, they're the voting block, and they're, they're the, the nonprofit. Block. Yep. Right. And and the reason I I asked to to hear this is because I know that we've had these concerned residents and one of the things that I think needs to be confirmed is that the fact that we don't have uh, jurisdiction over their HOA uh, CC&Rs. Correct. That, that have already been approved and, okay, thank you. Yeah, and I just wanted to highlight that we have met with them multiple times. I know they've reached out to council, and, and we have met with them and shared the report and, and had a productive meeting about the limits of, of any, you know, decision from this body. I, I think there's a public speaker. Yes, we have one individual here to speak. Great. Uh, Andrew Solomon. Sorry, I'm back. I know it's bad form to speak on the last item of the night, um, but uh, I, Andrew Solomon, I live in West Hollywood and I'm the HOA treasurer of my building uh, on, on Kings Road, which is the worst job in the world. Everyone in, in the building hates you. Um, but I'm, I'm also passionate about housing affordability, housing accessibility, housing abundance. Uh, so I'm excited to see um, on the staff report um, developing a home ownership actual program. We have 78 HOA units in town and they're all developer owned or, or nonprofit owned. We haven't actually utilized this program to the extent that we can benefit um, actual private homeowners for it. And I think that home ownership is a very important path to the middle class, to the upper class, to, to building any sort of wealth. Um, one thing that I would like to give comment or, or suggestion as you all do develop a policy on how actual people buy into this program is that um, I'm worried about a sort of stigma that might be attached to someone who does own um, a below market rate unit and let's say our HOA dues are, are, are $500 a month for everyone except for the below market rate unit which pays a lesser fee, maybe it's $250. i am worried about the stigma and it's real, I mean I, I have to collect dues that would be associated with, well that that unit doesn't pay as much as everyone else does. So, um, Councilmember Meister, you asked about it, whether those funds can be used um, not only for acquisition, but also for the operation or maintenance of a building going forward. I don't wanna, I don't wanna open this up to home ownership and then it kinda be 
akin to a free lunch program at a school where um, maybe that, that student has some sort of stigma attached to them because they are accepting a free lunch. So hopefully there is a way where the city can provide funds to assist with people's um, HOA dues uh, as they go forward and are a part of an actual home ownership program of inclusionary units. Thanks. Thank you, Andrew. Mayor, that was our only speaker. Okay, thank you. Discussion on this item? Councilmember Heilman. Yeah, I wanted to thank everyone. Um, thank you, Andrew, and thank you, staff, for bringing this forward. Uh, I do support uh, trying to um, increase the for sale options, but the reality is to keep these units permanently affordable, that means there has to be a resale cap. So when that individual owner buys it, when they try to sell it, they're not gonna be able to sell it for whatever the market is going for at the time. So a lot of the individuals who might want to participate in that program, they're gonna see that as a, a limitation on their ability to make a profit on it, and they're gonna pursue home ownership if they can someplace else. Um, so I'm, I'm not opposed to it. I think we should look at it. I think we should see what we wanna do with it. Uh, and how we can encourage more of it, but I think the reality is to keep these permanently affordable, they're likely going to remain rentals. Um, I like the idea of incentivizing this for nonprofits to own rather than them being retained by a developer. Um, in terms of the, the, um, the concerns about HOA dues, uh, there's a variety of ways HOA dues are assessed. My building, all units pay the same amount. Uh, other buildings, they pay based on square footage. Some have a combination depending on the nature of the units and uh, the size and the number of bedrooms. So there's a lot of variety. They're all set forth in the CCNRs. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, trying to change those, <laughs> being on the board of a condo, which is a completely thankless job, um, it is, it's almost impossible because somebody is gonna be upset that you're gonna be increasing their dues and potentially uh, decreasing somebody else's if you switch the method. I also, I, I am sympathetic to the people who brought this forward, but I also am a little bit unsympathetic in the sense that when you buy a condo, you get all of the CCNRs and you're aware that there are people in the building who are not going to be assessed the full amount. So you go into it with your eyes open. And the idea that you know some people benefit from a roof repair more than others, when we repair the roof in my building, we all pay the same amount for that special assessment, regardless of whether you live underneath the roof or you live on the first floor, we all benefit from having a roof that works in the building. So it, the idea that somebody is benefiting more than their contribution just doesn't ring true with me. Um, I, I'm, if we need to make a motion here, I'm prepared to make a motion to approve um, this report and to give you direction to follow up on trying to expand our homeowner options for the inclusionary units.
Mayor, did we want to proceed with the motion on the floor, or did were there still more comments and questions? Um, are there any other comments and questions for anyone? Okay. Okay. Motion passes five zero. <clears throat> All right, so um, we are at the last public comment period. Do we have public commenters? Yes, my button's not cooperating either. Uh, Patrick Blood is our first speaker to be followed by Robert Viana. Good evening, council members. I'm gonna keep this really brief. Um, as much as I can, I only have two minutes anyways. I just wanted to say it is uh, by Visibility Week, uh, and here in the city of West Hollywood, uh, there are gonna be some great programming, including on a Saturday, there's gonna be an ice cream social in Palmer Park. Um, it's really important that we remember that the LGBTQ plus community incorporates so many different um, folks, and by Visibility Week is another way that our beautiful city highlights our great diversity. I also wanted to echo what I heard in the beginning of the meeting regarding Lesbians in Boys Town, a documentary. I'm sure one of y'all is gonna bring it up anyways, but I would love a direction um, from you to staff to see whether the Arts and Cultural Affairs uh, Commission or the city itself could be a co-sponsor to finish this documentary out. I think 10K to finish a beautiful documentary is a good resource uh, for awareness. So I hope one of you makes a direction to staff to get that funded one way or another. I also really wanted to say a huge congratulations. He's gone uh, this evening, but for Richard Maggio for 33 years of service to our city. Um, I want to say that at the top of the meeting while he was here, um, but that's an incredible length of service. I'm 35, turning 36 next month, and Richard served, so basically my entire life. So just a huge congratulations and thanks to Richard Maggio for his service. Um, I also wanted to quickly say for 6B, I wanted to thank you for moving that to consent, um, but with a special shout out to Alan Straussberg, um, who chimed in on this specific um, item, uh, bringing up how Beverly Hills does it, and also made some recommendations to uh, the council and staff on how to perhaps implement it. It's a great idea, but I think Alan Straussberg's uh, recommendations by email should really be taken into consideration. And thank you all, and thank you for staff and everybody for being here and making comments, and I appreciate all of you so very much. And special shout out to Lauren Langer. You are a champion as a fellow attorney. I see you, girl. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, our next speaker is Robert Viana. Some of these individuals may have left. Okay, Jen Cheng. Good evening, everyone. My name is Jen Cheng, and I'm a proud resident of West Hollywood and proud to call it my home. I want to thank the City Council, the City Poet Laureate Selection Committee, Arts and Cultural Affairs Commission for creating opportunities for such a vibrant place of arts and culture. It takes a group of committed leaders with passion and hard work to cultivate culture and growth in a community. I'm honored that I will serve as the, uh, the city's next poet laureate as part of that leadership that enriches our community's cultural fabric to help us connect to our humanity. As the United States Poet Laureate Ada Limon says, poetry leaves room for both breath and mystery. Poetry is wonder. 
I look forward to creating connections and wonder with you. Thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, is Robert Goodman still here? Okay, Eli Sorkin. I thought that might have been Eli. Uh, Howard Brian Chapnick. Oh, it is Eli. Okay. <laughs> oh, Howard. Wait one second. Okay. Good evening, Councilmember. Howard can Brian Chapnick. Uh, forgive me, I got stitches in my mouth uh, just the other day. Uh, I'm an active first responder. I hold a federal research number. I was introduced prior to this council with uh, Captain Ramirez on the same evening. Um, I, I'm an active researcher within the field of science here in quantum physics. I've uh, reached our code within the supernatural. I'm an heir to a dynasty, B.L. Nicholson. Now it's Nicholson Industries. It's been in my family since 1909. I have math to introduce to you. And you're a council that is new here in politics. But there's things that have been evolving in politics for some time that have built up a mass that is contaminated to you. And, and uh, so I'm here to give you, uh, introduce you to the mass so you can be responsible for the issue that's not your making. Uh, I want to point that out to you. Um, I, I was certified with the uh, Lauren Mester right here uh, with, uh, with the West Hollywood uh, Fire Department. And uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm an idiot savant. I'm really, really bright. I'm identified to be a, a genius in applied math here. I can augment reality. I live in a parallel universe. Um, it'd be good to figure out a way to communicate with you. Um, I was twice in the Special Olympics, and I'm, I'm exceeding the level of math in a, a board of physics here. We operate on a microcomputing board, and I'm working on a quantum board of processing. And I, I, as of it right now, I can move outer space. And it sounds like uh, it's, um, the reality is the reality. And I'm, I, I would be identified as active military right now within the 1973 Weather Convention Treaty. I have not augmented weather in a lethal force in a militarized zone or in a domestic zone. So uh, I'm a friendly. I, I'm looking to have communication. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you, Howard. Eli, you may now speak. Thank you. Good evening, Council. I'd like to briefly address the issue of bus fleet electrification. Uh, my current understanding is that the city is either in the process of or has secured already the funds for the purchase of electric buses. My name is Eli Sorkin. I'm the founder and CEO of Electric Bus Fleet Solutions. Uh, we specialize in helping transit agencies and municipalities with all facets, facets of fleet electrification. We assist with procurement of various federal and state grants for procurement of buses and for uh, procurement of charging infrastructure. And uh, on that note, the FTA grants, I'm not sure if you're aware, they cover only 80% of the cost of the buses, but we know how to cover the remaining 20% so that the buses are free to the city. We also assist with the selection of buses. For example, there are now 30-foot electric buses available, which can navigate the narrow residential streets of West Hollywood, just like the current cutaway buses do. And our expertise comes from real-life experience. My partner is the former executive director of AVTA, which is Antelope Valley Transit Authority. And AVTA currently has the first and only fully electric bus fleet in North America. They have no more diesel buses. And lastly, we provide our services at no cost to the city. And um, the other issue I wanted to quickly touch upon is the possibility or feasibility of digital advertising screens on the current pickup trolleys in uh, West Hollywood. So I just wanted to get some feedback or guidance or direction on these issues. I don't know if I need to meet. Um, um, Mr. Mr. Sorkin, the, unfortunately, the council cannot interact with you during um, public comment. It's, it's a Brown Act thing. 
However, if you would like, you can reach out to me tomorrow and I will let you know, I'll put you in touch with staff who oversees the transportation for the Thank city. You. Thank you for your time. I sympathize with your job, by the way. This is an <laughs> intense, intense time frame. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I don't believe he's here, but I'm gonna call anyway, West Seedmiller. Okay, and our final speaker in chambers, and then we have one in Zoom, is Nick Roybal. Good evening. I just want to point out to anyone watching and observing how the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce of West Hollywood was treated this evening. It is disgusting, Mayor Shine, how you treated the CEO of the Chamber. At a moment of inflection, an access point for where and how this city, if it decides to, with the appointment that a lobbyist chose from the Garcetti administration, chooses to move forward on empty developments in this city, that you would treat our CEO in that gesture is disappointing. And as somebody who is running for Congress, everyone should witness your behavior this evening. All of us deserve better from a mayor. I want to thank Councilmember Meister and Councilmember Heilman for their attention during these meetings. It is clear Mayor Shine, Mayor Pro Tim Erickson, you check out. You do. And it is apparent to those in community who aren't just seeking higher office or using community for political ambition and the service of ego. The people of this city deserve better. They deserve more servants like Councilmember Meister and Councilmember Hallman. People who listen. Thank you, Nick. Uh, we will move to the one speaker we have in Zoom, Mayor. Christopher, you're our next speaker. Please press star six to unmute. You'll have two minutes. Christopher, if you can hear me, star mute, star six to unmute, please. Mayor, we can, we can go ahead and move to council member comments and if for some reason he unmutes, we'll, we'll take his comment. Great, thank you. Um, council member Meister. Thank you, Mayor. Um, so uh, I'll start with attendance. Uh, I participated in the Plummer Park Ad Hoc Committee, uh, the annual Congress of Commissions and Advisory Boards, and the uh, Southern California Association of Governments Joint Policy Committees meeting and Regional Council meeting. Uh, I also attended the Historic Preservation uh, Commission annual event at Plummer Park, which was very special now that Great Hall, Long Hall, and Fiesta Hall have 
been designated local historic resources. A special thanks to Stephanie Harker and Kathy Blavis for their dedication to saving these historic resources. I also helped celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Roxy and congratulations to Lou Adler for receiving a key to the city. I'm hoping that he'll share it with the rest of us. Um, whoop, ooh, what just happened here? Um, I also wanted to welcome uh, Nick Marisic. I had the pleasure of meeting Nick uh, last week and I look forward to seeing the community be, be, um, be more of a, uh, involved in terms of uh, community development conversations. Um, again, regarding item 2D as in dog, the reason I voted no on the item is because I believe that 100% of replacement units should be affordable units, not rent-stabilized units starting at market rates. Um, on item 2H, which is the update on economic development initiatives, um, I just, um, I think, uh, I'm hoping that this will come back to us next month. Um, I think that the critical state of business letter asked for a lot of things which were not, um, you know, addressed in this update. Uh, so I'm hoping that we'll be able to discuss um, many of the items that they brought uh, forward in that letter, uh, at least to have a discussion. Um, I also um, want us to address uh, storefronts that are being used as tall walls and not opening for businesses. Uh, opening for business, they, we have uh, several places that are ground floor, um, you know, brick and mortar uh, stores, uh, storefronts, and um, they're just sitting there. And what that does is it hurts our um, it hurts our ability to have pedestrian activity. It hurts other businesses on the street. It uh, lessens pedestrian activation of our streets and we're supposed to be a, a walkable city, but we need places to walk to in order to do that. Um, I'd also uh, like to see us um, look at um, commercial vacancies and um, get an update on, on, on if the trend is that they are increasing or decreasing. I think that's an important part of this whole discussion on uh, economic development. Um, as we move forward, and um, and if we do see that vacancies are increasing, I think we need to rethink uh, or at least relook at the idea of a commercial vacancy tax. Maybe do another uh, poll to see where people uh, how they feel about that. And um, just regarding the summary of business retention meetings uh, to date, in that item, I just want to remind everyone that. Um, that a number of the hotels uh, that staff met with are located in or directly adjacent to residential neighborhoods. So just to be very careful in the discussions about rooftop uses and, uh, and make sure that we are taking into consideration the residential neighborhoods. Um, announcements on September 19th at 5.30 p.m. There will, there will be a virtual neighborhood meeting regarding 88 uh, 8801 Sunset Boulevard. Um, so you can go to the calendar on the city's website to get more information on uh, that Zoom uh, meeting. And then uh, there are also going to be a number of neighborhood conversations uh, on uh, Laurel House, uh, and they will take place on September 26th at 6 p.m. at Plummer Park Community Center Rooms 5 and 6. 
and on September 27th at 1 p.m. via Zoom. And it, once again, you can go to the city calendar to get more information on that. Those are my comments. Thank you. Councilmember Byers. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I'll start with attendance. I attended the Southern California Association of Governments Safe and Active Streets Working Group meeting, the Los Angeles County Affordable Housing Solutions Agency meeting, the Clean Power Alliance Energy and Resource Planning Committee meeting, um, and a number of really fabulous events in the city, many of which Councilmember Meister mentioned. So I'll just say if you missed the Roxy event, you can and absolutely should check out that conversation on YouTube. It was very awesome. Um, I want to say that last Friday we celebrated the opening of the La Brea bus priority lane, which runs on La Brea between Sunset and Olympic. Transit service on Metro's line 212 is expected to be 15% faster during the peak hours when these lanes are operating, which is between 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., so our rush hour priority lane. Um, that, and then this also services the city line commuter shuttles, um, which will benefit from these new lanes on their way to and from the Hollywood Highland Metro line, that red station. Um, someday we hope to see this expand all the way to the expo line and to the forum, connecting two of our region's most major entertainment districts, all the way from the forum and SoFi Stadium to Hollywood Bowl. Um, I think it's really important to say and to note and to celebrate that West Hollywood is the first city outside of the city of Los Angeles to work with Metro on one of these new bus lanes. This is a really big deal, especially for such a small city. It speaks so highly of our staff, the forward-thinking nature of council members who have sat and served on this diocese before I did, and the visionary community that we live in. Um, another major congratulations to David Fenn and Hernan Molina and all the staff who have worked on and championed this effort. Here in West Hollywood, we clearly have the assets, the drive, and now a success story packed into our 1.9 square miles, and we look forward to continued partnerships with Metro and LA on this and other mobility efforts. On the note of Metro, I want to give a quick shout out to Transportation Commissioner Dan Wenzel on his appointment to the Metro Los Angeles Westside and Central Services Council by Supervisor Lindsay Horvath. Just appreciate you so much for your continued contributions to our community in this region. Um, on the note of celebrations. Uh, for the second time, our LA County Assessor's Office has received the highest honor in the nation that can be granted to a government assessment agency. It's the, oh, it's even beyond the nation, sorry. The International Association of Assessing Officers recognized Assessor Jeff Prang's office with this prestigious Certificate of Excellence in Assessment Administration Award during their recent conference. Again, this is uh, the preeminent authority on assessment administration, and it's the highest recognition that can be bestowed upon a government assessment agency. Um, just want to give a tremendous uh, gratitude to Assessor Prang's office. Um, I think that's an amazing accommodation. And finally, just a couple things I want to shout out. September is uh, Pedestrian Safety Month. It's also National Hispanic Heritage Month. And tomorrow, I think as uh, Melissa Crowder already mentioned, it's National Voter Registration Day. So please drop by City Hall from 1 to 5 to get registered to vote and get more information on when you have opportunities to vote. Um, just finally want to say I hope everyone had a meaningful Rosh Hashanah to those who recognize a nice Labor Day weekend before that. And I think I missed an opportunity to say happy birthday to my colleague John Erickson. So I'm not going to do that again. Happy birthday, John. Thank you. Councilmember Heilman. I, I attended the Homeless Subcommittee and the Congress of Cities, and I attended uh, a variety of community events. Uh, and in addition to uh, Rosh Hashanah, we also need to wish everyone uh, a good uh, Yom Kippur coming up. So uh, with that, my comments are at an end. 
Mayor Pro Tem Erickson. Thank you so much, Madam Mayor. Um, on items on consent, thank you to my colleagues for 6D, uh, 6B, which did come from Alan Strasberg. Yes, I know, shock, awe, silence falls over the crowd that people can work together for the best of our city. Thank you, Alan, for emailing me and for staff for acting out. And I see these things are in Beverly Hills. Looking forward to that pilot program and seeing oil and oil and water work together. Um, additionally, congrats on all the community garden individuals that came out tonight. Thank you for staying here. Um, in terms of meetings I attended, Plummer Park Ad Hoc Committee, Annual Congress, the Equality California LGBTQ Leaders Conference, the ERA Feminist Art Show opening, uh, the end of the summer picnic for WeHo staff. Thank you, WeHo staff. You're the best part about this job because you do so much amazing work. The Yet Zev Yaroslavsky book event. Thank you to Councilmember Heilman. And thank you to Zev because now I don't need to read the book because his answers were so long-winded that I, I feel like I read the book in uh, the four hours that he was there speaking. That's a joke. Zev is a brilliant, brilliant man. I attended the Out Loud Sports Festival Dodge tournament, the Liability Trust Fund Claims Board and Oversight Committee, the CPA Board of Directors meeting, the Contract Cities Fall Education Summit where I was on a panel about legislation, the Third District Consolidated Oversight Board, the meeting, uh, I attended a meeting with the West Hollywood Chamber of Commerce and the Businesses, and this morning I represented the city at the Polocho de Trapo program launch and press conference. Um, additionally, happy Rosh Hashanah, um, upcoming Yom Kippur, uh, as well as happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, I wanted to publicly, even though I've said it on my social media, apologize to Lucien and uh, uh, Global Dining. I called you billionaires when I meant millionaires. Apologies for such a guffaw. Um, enhancements and improvements to Holloway and La Cienega. Um, I've been getting a number of comments from residents about this intersection. It becomes quite crowded, impossible to walk by. I don't know if there's anything the city could look at in timing of the intersections from La Cienega in that area, but there was a bad traffic accident um, that happened last week, Friday. So if, however, staff could look at best ways to improve. Um, I also want to tell people that my next Plummer Park event is this Saturday from 10, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Um, additionally, I want to congrats Jen Chang on your incredible next step, my dear friend. I'm so honored to know you. I'm so honored to see the beauty that you shine on this city. And to quote Ada Lamone uh, in a way that almost brought me to tears, you are just the exemplary person that I look to, and I, I couldn't think of better hands that the Poet Laureateship is in. And I'm, I'm very thankful for you and your service that I can't wait to see uh, shine over the coming years. Um, then additionally, I want to commend our mayor for to leading tonight's meeting. I think the claims that against you tonight um, are, are actually childish uh, as a reflection on those other individuals. We had seven public commenters. I think you handled that with uh, poise. And I want to say that any type of uh, continued attack um, just seems to continue to happen to women in this city that run for office. It's uh, disgusting. It's shameful. And I'm proud to call you my mayor. And to think of anyone challenging anyone on this council member's commitment to this city is just truly false. And I would open up my calendar. I'm happy to show you where I'm at. Everyone knows where I'm 
I'm at because I post it on my social media. And we have two full-time jobs, and some of us take that very seriously. I'm one of them. And to challenge any of us up here, uh, I think, is an act that reflects more poorly on the individual saying it um, uh, than it does of those of us up here who dedicate our lives to this city. And I'm thankful for your service, and thank you for leading a very great meeting tonight. Thank you, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson, for your support. I appreciate you, and um, uh, everyone has a right to their opinions. Um, that's the beauty of free speech. Um, I know who I am and what my dedication is to the city of West Hollywood and the way in which I live my life. and despite um, continued attacks on my character, on my life, on the way I run uh, meetings and the changes I've made in this city, I accept none of those because I know who I am and I absolutely really appreciate your support, John, thank you. Um, the people can decide who deserves to be in this city either in March or for this council next November, and that will be the decision that will be made. Now, I would like to say happy Bi Visibility Week to our um, bisexual community in the city of West Hollywood. Um, we have a Bi Ice Cream Social Please join the City of West Hollywood as we host a Bi Plus ice cream social celebrating marking the end of Bi Plus Visibility Week. The event will take place at Plummer Park's Vista Lawn from 1 to 5 p.m. with a DJ, free ice cream sandwiches, and park games for all to enjoy. Bi Plus organizations will be on site too. Come by, have fun, and meet other members of the Bi Plus community. I also wanted to point out that during this week, the city's lanterns over Santa Monica Boulevard are lit in pink, purple, and blue, which are the colors of the Bi Plus pride flag in homage to the community. West Hollywood City Hall is also lit with the same colors, and Bi, Bi Plus pride flags will be flown on the city's medians on the rooftop of City Hall and at Plummer Park. Uh, I want to wish um, our Jewish community a... Uh, Rosh, happy Rosh Hashanah. I hope that the new year is very, very sweet for all of you. This uh, weekend is a closing weekend of the ERA Feminist Art Show. The ERA Feminist Art Show, Sembramos Suenos para Cose... I don't know how to say this word. In Farsi, it means something else. Cosechar Esperanza, planting dreams to harvest hope. Presented by Equal Means Equal and Moby Arts features a collection of thought-provoking and visually stunning artwork by eight women artists exploring diverse themes, including equality, feminism, gender identity, and social justice. The show runs through September 26th and Long Hall, at Long Hall in Plummer Park. Viewing hours are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. The official closing reception for the art show will be held on Sunday, September 24th from 3 to 5 p.m. The last opportunity to view the show will be Tuesday, September 26th from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. Admission is free. Um, I would like to um, 
Uh, we've had a lot of comments on the lesbians in Boys Town need for funding. I would uh, request that staff uh, look at uh, what can be uh, perhaps brought forward in, um, with regard to the completion of this documentary. I understand that there is a process in place um, for grants and the reason it, um, the filmmaker could not apply again is due to a technical issue. This is um, the lesbian community has um, definitely needs equity in our city and uh, visibility and this uh, documentary is fantastic and would be uh, an incredible way to memorialize a uh, group in our LGBTQ plus community that um, needs more upliftment. At our, uh, for my attendance, I attended the annual Congress of uh, Advisory Board Members and Commissioners, the 50th anniversary of the Roxy, where I gave Lou Adler a key to the city, the Sanitation District Board Meeting, the Metro La Brea Avenue Bus Priority Lane, opening celebration and press conference, and the American-born Chinese LA Kids Book Festival this weekend, which was amazing. Um, I wanted to update the public that um, AB 1620, uh, the Costa Hawkins Rental Housing Act um, has, was approved by the legislature, it was co-sponsored by, uh, by us as a item that uh, Mayor Pro Tem Erickson and I brought forward and the council unanimously approved direction to give staff to look at how we can help um, see people with disabilities that live in upper floor units be able to uh, move to a lower floor unit if there's no elevator access. So uh, staff ended up uh, reaching out to assembly member Zabur and he, so I wanna thank him for agreeing to uh, bring this forward in a co-sponsorship from the city of West Hollywood. This is now uh, something that we've been working on and we've had members of uh, DAB uh, attend hearings and speak. Thank you to those that did. Um, and it is passed. It is absolutely incredible. Um, I, uh, the, the item was presented to the governor last Friday and um, I'm sure you will do the right thing and sign it, which means that this now becomes the law across California. Imagine all of the people with disabilities that have been stuck in um, the upper floors and with no elevator access and had to endure um, uh, further har hardship than they already face. Um, this is, this is going to be an incredible um, positive uh, accommodation for uh, tenants and people with disabilities. I'm, I'm really happy that we did this. And um, this was something that former Disabilities Advisory Board member Larry Block um, had uh, promoted many, many times and many years. So um, uh, we created, uh, again, something positive that helps people's lives. Now, um, we proclaimed Massa Amini Day today, um, and 
as a follow-up to my previous comments on the situation taking place in the Islamic Republic of Iran following the death of Masa Amini, I want to say that Woman Life Freedom Movement continues to live on. With the anniversary of Masa Amini's death, protests have again sparked throughout Iran. Iranian authorities have announced that Masa's father have, has been detained by authorities. My prayer is that her father and others that may be detained are released soon. Last November, the UN reported that no, more than 300 people were killed in the protests, including more than 40 children. Human rights groups placed that number at more than 500, including 70 children. Thousands more were arrested during the months of nationwide protests. Additional light needs to be focused on what is going on in Iran. In late November, the city is hosting a human rights speaker series event to bring more focus on the woman life freedom movement through the lens of women and Farsi speakers. More information will come. Um, there has been some uh, uh, opinions of why the focus on Iran, why the focus on woman life freedom, why the focus on uh, human rights outside of what is happening in the city of West Hollywood, outside of what's happening in our country. Well, the fact is, we are all connected to each other. Um, the woman life freedom revolution um, happened at the same time that we in our country, um, as women, are facing horrendous attacks um, in local city council chambers, in our daily lives, in our workplaces, in our government where abortion is being banned um, and uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned. The woman life freedom revolution uh, is not something that is just happening in Iran. The extremism that took away the freedom of women and LGBTQ people and all the innocent people in Iran is also happening in our country, is also happening in our states, is also happening in our cities. And I will never stop speaking for human rights, for women, for all women, including myself. And those are the end of my comments this evening. The city council were adjourned to its next Mayor, regular, yes? I'm sorry, we did have the individual in Zoom. Okay, thank you for reminding me. <laughs> thank Let's you. Let's go ahead and have them speak. Thank you. Christopher, you'll have two minutes. Please press star six, go ahead. Perfect, thank you, thank you. Um, so, just wanted to say that it's been a pleasure participating in these meetings via Puff for the past couple of months. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised at the availability and the responsiveness of the city staff and also the council members to take our requests to heart and help place we want to live in. Um, I know that you can't always please everyone and you won't but we must still try. Um, I will end it by saying wise words of the great Grace Jones, 
baby, I may not be perfect, but I'm perfect for you. Thank you. Thank you, Christopher. All right, now the city council will adjourn to its next regular meeting, which is on Monday, October, yes. Sure, let's do it. I'm sorry. Um, I had forgotten to say, ask the city manager. I know that staff is gonna be coming back uh, with updates on developments as requested by Mayor Pro Tem. Uh, so I just wanted to make sure that we uh, also hear about what's happening at Crescent Heights and Santa Monica Boulevard, uh, especially since the farmer's market development is not happening, and it was being used for uh, staging of construction vehicles. So um, if they're not gonna be doing that development, uh, uh, would like to know what we're, what we're thinking about, and if, there's, if it's down the road, then maybe we can consider that that be another place for our gardeners. Thank you. All right. In Farsi, we say so the third time's a charm. Um, the City Council will adjourn to its next regular meeting, which will be on Monday, October 2nd, 2023 at 6 p.m. at West Hollywood Park, uh, public meeting room, City Council Chambers, first floor.